I still don't remember what it was. I don't remember what that instrument was. Oh, another failure in the technology. Um, That's right. My, I'm just, I'm you're in just flashing on screen. Yes, but I'm flashing with the oh, bassoon. Yeah, bass- oboe. Oh, spooky oboe. Oh, bassoon. Whatever it is. It's one of the two. Anyway, uh, yes. that'll be coming soon. But anyways, hello and welcome to another Quarren stream. I am your host, Joe Magician. And today we'll be, be beginning the long, long journey, almost nine voyages-esque to the upcoming prequel of Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon, otherwise known as the Hot D. And <laughs> the Hot D. Hot D. Hot D. And we'll be starting with a character analysis of one of the most fascinating, power-hungry, ambitious, and amazing people from the Dance of the Dragons. That's right. We will be singing the song of the sea snake, Corlys Valarion. Oh. Song, song of the sea snake. But you know, mm-hmm. I yeah. hear it. It's yeah. It's oh good yeah, stuff. I can see you. You're getting. You're feeling. Mm-hmm. Big, big <laughs> I'm notes. jamming to it. It's going to yes. be on my Spotify top list. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> uh, if that title sounds familiar, it's because my guest and Maester Monthly co-host pitched that many, many moons ago on Maester Monthly episode four, which was not apparently about our our prequel, our uh, spinoff things. That was just a segment instead of the entire episode. But anyway, uh, that is right. Joining me today is the studliest of books, the one, the only bookshelf stud. Hello, Michael. Oh, it's so good to be back. <gasps> I love I love talking to you. Oh, I love how our facial hair just keeps growing out together. We both have slightly different hairstyles from the last time we spoke. It's, it's good to check in. You your, know? your your beard's a little bit better than mine is. That's I mean you've you've got kind of the Sam thing started, but it's it it be, it becomes more full as it as it you know. That's true. I am two months into trying to grow this, so yeah. Uh, maybe yeah, it's good. I don't, and I I have an embarrassing man bun. Oh so, yeah. You know, we're about top knot baby that's right that's right yeah it's a top notch top knot um yeah and i even i tried to get my my bookshelf in my office in the, the shop so the bookshelf the bookshelf that's right down at the bottom is where the song of ice fire books are so when i collapse onto the floor at the end of a long day i can just reach over and grab aswaf but a little higher up on the shelf is is some some really important tomes oh that um i recently got oh really you, you got some you got some new books for the bookshelf did you that's right it's uh it's an unboxing video <laughs> <laughs> um i am now the proud owner of a signed inscribed trade paperback set of the the first three wilds cards wilds cards wild yeah, cards wild, wild ca- ca- cards yes that's the of it. um thanks to thanks to you hey i um, am a generous and wonderful gift giver so i'm mm-hmm. glad you enjoyed those uh mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, I'm enjoying them. I, I actually, so when I when I opened up the first one, you know, in a state of shock, it's signed in the front by uh, Melissa Snodgrass. Really? Um, See, when yeah. I bought those, I thought it was just Germ, and then you posted the pictures, and it's actually every author. Yeah, it's it's like all of them. So the the first one has, um, I mean, it's really hard to see, but it's got Melissa Snodgrass, and it's got George R. R. Martin. Oh. But I truly thought that it said because my my name is Michael M. <laughs> I thought it was Michael M. And I was like, Jesus Christ, did Matt pay to have like custom inscribed? Absolutely that not. Been, that would have been the scene. So I'm, I'm excited to get to the heart of the cards here. Um, you know, what's actually funny about wild cards. I've read a few of them in, um, yeah. in uh, dream songs. He put in a mm-hmm. couple of his stories from wild cards and like, it wasn't bad. It was just strange yeah. because sure. the universe was like bizarre and he was clearly writing from other people's ideas he didn't like. But it was still like it's like a very grim, dark X Men. Okay, yeah, I'm actually I'm a little intrigued. I'll be honest. Now that they're in my hands, now that I have no choice but to read them, I mean, I guess I don't have to read them. 
Oh, well, you should. This gift you've given me is so wonderful. This amazing gift. Yes. Yes, yes. Aaron, I, I, I am what a guy. So nice of me to do this. This is actually because one bookshelf stud uh, edited the Maester Monthly episode this month. Our pseudo monthly podcast. <laughs> this month. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as, if, as if there's some timeline that these things happen on. And we do I, say uh, during it that we recorded it during the spooky season, so you can guess when we recorded that one. It was not recent. Yeah. I, I about lost my mind when on November 15th or whatever, I cracked it open and I was like, oh, spooky season, huh? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Whoops. Um, oh, we got some uh, some super chats here. Uh, I'm a little confused by what I'm seeing because it looks like six different super chats from Purple Lord Leo Anasazi at $7.53 each. I'm not really sure what's going on there. Um, I'm guessing this is a bug because I see one. <laughs> <laughs> but there's also six. Uh, but thank you, uh, Lord Leo. And uh, their comment is, um, are the Valarians and Baratheons be allies in dance? And are they associated with the Strongs at this point? Love the content from both of you. No rush. Um, the the relationship between the Baratheons and the Valarians is a very interesting one. Um, and something we're going to talk about in a bit. But um, yeah. they, they have been allied for most of their history. But during the dance, they split. But not because of an enmity between the two of them personally. It's largely because of Rhaenyra. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, which you could say for a lot of the dance. But uh, maybe that's a different stream. I don't know. Uh, talking about Rhaenyra's antagonistic nature with everybody. Oh, there's something weird going on. Apparently the chat on my screen is not yes. working. It's it is sort of stuttering just a little bit. It's uh it comes and goes and fits and spits. Um is the chat working in the regular pop out chat? Maybe. How are you guys doing? <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Tip your tip your waitress. Uh, let me ch check my mod Slack one second. Mm. Oh, what's mm. going on, guys? This is what happens when you try to talk about the Valerians. Is the the other houses from Valeria, the 40, 40 families of the Freehold, they find out that you're talking. the di The deep state of Valeria is trying to quash our Valerian stream. This is true. Wow. Don't let them. It keeps loading thirty messages. Wow. Yeah, and just exploded with with uh, comments. So it looks like there's something going with YouTube. Sorry, guys. Um, so my bad or somebody's bad. It's somebody's bad. Yeah, Doesn't, I don't think it's my bad. Um, if the chat on the side isn't working, uh, I guess I can just turn it off. Mm. There we go. So we'll just turn that off for the time being since it doesn't seem to be working. But anyway, um, <laughs> thank you for the super chat. Purple Lord Leo Anasazi. And also, uh, there were two super stickers. I'm not really sure on the date, but they came from Eric Forig. $10 and $5. Thank you for those. Super generous. Very much appreciate it. And I also wanted to call out that this is apparently a big morning of this stuff. Uh, uh, two uh, PayPals from Danny McKay, where he just says, Happy Saturday. Thank you, Danny. Appreciate yeah. it. And $10 from Ramona Zamfir, who usually has a lot of questions, but not today. She just says, No questions. Just a token. My appreciation. Well, thank you, Ramona. Uh and wow. I want to shout out a new patron who shined up just as the stream was starting. Uh, Cody R, who DM'd me to say, is it worth it? And apparently it is. They signed up. So welcome new Maester Cody. Uh, you can obviously sign up at, pa at Patreon at patreon.com slash Joe Magician. Uh, PayPal link is in the side. Super chats are obviously always available. Um, so what we have coming up on the channel, the Tattered Prince unmasking video. That is in the editing stages. It took a while to get there because I got false starts and it's... um. It's a tough one. It was a tough one. I felt very germ-like as I kept going back and rewriting and discarding ideas. And I don't know, it's, it's taken me a lot longer than usual. 
most of the time I can just sort of pound them out phrasing also a five-year cap video but there'll be other stuff coming um I also wanted to read a review from iTunes by the way this is available on a podcast format under the name wit and wisdom of joe magician uh john zandig 1999 on eleven twenty four said great podcast insightful entertaining five stars no you five stars john thank you oh john zandig you are a champ <laughs> you, are, you, you are really really uh, pulling your weight here man hope you enjoy your what is it 22nd birthday next year since you were born in 1999 oh i feel old <laughs> my birthday's coming up yeah, he's turning the big 6-0, everybody. How old do you think I am? You think I'm 59? I have no idea. <laughs> oh, my God. God damn it, Michael. Unbelievable. And as always, um, slam that MFN like button. Um, at 150 likes, uh, we put it on my old Gandalf hat. 175. Actually, you know what? This time, we'll bump that up to 200 since we've reached that the last few weeks. I'll put on my Gurm hat with a very special turtle thing. And maybe Michael, I don't know what you what you can do, but oh, I've got I've got a Darth Ma- Darth Vader mask. I've got a horse head. I've got oh, all perfect. Sorts of- We're here for it. Yeah, I'll hold up my cursed clown painting that is oh, sitting God. just in the camera. <laughs> perfect. Uh, in fact, if you fuckers don't hit uh, two hundred likes, you're gonna get clown painting. Don't get clown painting. You don't want this shit. It is horrific. Dark. <laughs> uh, yeah, but no, uh, like subscribe share leave a comment afterwards do all the things actually let's what's what's a good question for the comments how about um i mean obviously this could be about cordless valarion but which valarion do you stand which one is the best valarion make your case in the comments also in chat because i'm sure that will be fun as people argue about favorite characters that never goes wrong yeah oh yeah that's the the best part of fandom discourse never goes wrong it's always a very pleasant experience um <laughs> that's how that goes and i wanted to start off before we go into old lord corliss and we had an email question or i did not michael um he is not he does not have access to my email account so this uh, is just to me go ahead keep thinking that that's fine uh this is from the one and only three-fingered hob fresh from the uh castle black <laughs> when he's not slicing off fingers and making apparently delicious breakfasts mm. or at least they sound like it they sound pretty delicious from the descriptions three-fingered Hobbs said i've been thinking about daenerys and how she's doomed to fail this will be a good start um <laughs> she will never be accepted by westeros no matter what daenerys will be seen as a foreign queen her name and claim don't matter reading fire and blood you see the small folk and lords blame their problems on any person they see as a foreign influence i mean not wrong they don't like the dornish i don't think that one comes up too much but i, I guess they are they are sort of foreigners in westeros kind of yeah. i don't know even though they're actually part of the continent during jaharis the first reign his master rego draws was killed yeah that was kind of shitty yeah. that happened then the rogars are blamed for the problems during the of the realm during aegon the third's reign again yeah kind of xenophobic that westeros when daemon married the dornish to bring them into the realm he was derided his children were judged for having Dornish blood. Even the Blackfire Rebellion has access to aspects of this due to the marriage of Daenerys to the Prince of Dorne. I don't remember that part. I think they kind of added that one. Oh, three, three-fingered hobbler. Come on, man. Rhaegar is even looked down on due to his marriage to Elia. Yes, by Ares. And so-called Dornish influence. Daenerys will be coming with the Dothraki and the Unsullied. So the main question, they laid out a bunch of points that Westeros is in very, very xenophobic. And mm. Daenerys is technically born in Westeros, but she's not Westerosi. And I think they kind of do bring a good point that the whole idea that um, Daenerys thinks that Viserys told us, told her that the people are selling banners and then they're waiting for them to come back. 
wasn't true when Aegon landed, and it's probably not going to be true now. Yeah, I mean, the Valerians, uh, the Targaryens. Oh. Slip of the tongue there. Although, ni- neither of them are uh, native Westerosi, right? I mean, they're, they're nope. Valyrian by, by nature. So even at their mo- at the height of their power, the Targaryen kings and queens were always kind of not Westerosi. Nope. Um, and you see some of that come up in the language around Robert's Rebellion and in, like, um, the, you know, the King in the North reaction that the Great John has. It's, you know, it's... To do with realizing well yeah why would we obey these foreign kings and queens so um i mean yeah daenerys is kind of screwed especially because she's coming in not with uh as they point out not with like an, an army of westerosi knights but with literally like the worst boogeymen of mm-hmm. uh, uh you know west uh westerosi racists <laughs> yeah the thraki are gonna they're known for sacking towns and raping and slaving and those are going to be her allies. That's I mean, that was kind of the point is they were going to send them ahead and then they were going to be defeated by the Targaryens. And that was going to be like the big hole. Yeah, we protected you from foreign invaders. We're not foreign invaders. We defeated the foreigners. But Danny has made allies with them along with the Unsullied. Um, and the Golden Company are with Young Griff, who would be the natural allies. That was the original plan. Golden Company plus Viserys slash Young Griff. They probably would replace Viserys with Young Griff at some point would defeated them and they would have been the conquering heroes that ain't going to happen so yeah that's that's going to be a real problem for daenerys where's her support coming from it's probably not going to be the common people unless she makes some very big gestures after she lands in order to get them on her side but i don't even know what that can be because she doesn't have a lot to offer them other right. than killing yeah. the people they don't like she doesn't yeah yeah it's not like she's coming in with like boats full of grain yeah <laughs> um i assume yeah, that would be another problem for Daenerys in the uh, the old conquest o Westeros, and the fact that basically everybody. I mean, they did this in the show to a limited amount. Randall Tarley made that particularly xenophobic comment too about the same thing, but that is true. This is a place that does not does not welcome Daenerys or the Targaryens, and we're kind of forced to welcome the Targaryens literally by dragon fire. Um. Oh yes, Aaron, I did answer Lord Leo's question. I don't know why it stuck to the top there. It's just kind of there for the rest of the stream. Well, that. That was a $7.53 well spent, Lord Leo. YouTube is apparently going to pin that permanently. <laughs> it's graffiti. Sure. That's, that's how that works. Uh, so we have an opening quote here about the sea snake himself. Chorus for Larion, the greatest mariner in the world. Michael, do you want to you give it a shot? Oh, it would be my honor. Let me Thank hold you. up my... Uh... I need to get my reading glasses on. No, it actually has paper. I I'm holding. I printed out the entire all the notes because I'm like I'm like a football field's distance away from my computer. I can't mm. read shit on it. Seventy nine years of age, he had served four kings and a queen, sailed to the ends of the earth, raised ha- raised House Valerian to unprecedented levels of wealth and power, married a princess who might have been a queen, fathered dragon riders, built towns and fleets proved his valor in times of war and his wisdom in times of peace. The seven kingdoms would never see his like again. Wow. Mm. That is a that is an epithet. That is that is something else. Well, Corlys is clearly George is presenting him as one of the heroes of Westeros, like a legendary figure in the making. Give it like a few thousand years and maybe Lord Corlys, the sea snake, would be like the Merlin King, that kind of figure. The amount he did for that region is kind of unprecedented. Absolutely. I mean, he's he's truly one of the like you might compare him to like one of the founding fathers or something like mm-hmm. he's historical figure. Yes, but he's he, he's taken on this kind of mythical quality. Um, and due to the things he did, like it's it's well earned. Dude was dude rocks is what I'm saying. <laughs> he, he did it all. He did literally everything. 
Like if he was, if this was, if you were playing a Crusader Kings uh, campaign, Coralys Valerion is like what the players do versus what the CPU does. He did Absolutely. everything. Yes. Like that, the, I, I played that a bunch on my channel. You played with me too on the release of Crusader Kings 3, but that that's a big way that you win is that you, the player, are far more ambitious and you're smarter than the CPU and you you know like the cheats of how to get power and all that stuff. And it's like Coralys had those things. That was mm -hmm. him. Mm -hmm. But before, you know, we go into... Uh, standing Coralys too hard. Um, I thought we should stop, stop and take a look first at House Valarion themselves because, you know, they were cut from the show and not only that, they barely show up in the books. By the current timeline, the Valarions are basically gonzo. Uh, we see them briefly in Stannis' War Council. They show up at the Blackwater. And of course, there's Arrayne Waters, but that's kind of it. And that's... Yeah. That is not a lot for what was one of the truly great houses during the Targaryen reign. And actually, I looked this up. Corlys is not even named in the main books. <laughs> Corlys Erasure. That, yeah. Hey, come on, George. Where's my, where's my Corlys rep? No, it's true. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, you would not know word one about the Valerians if you were just sort of reading the books through once and then never touching them again. Right. Like, like you said, they show up briefly. I believe Lord Valerian gets murked mm -hmm. at the Blackwater and then yep. now is infant ruling um mm -hmm. i don't remember the names but whatever and our rain is really the most major character and he's not even a valerian like, well he I mean, functionally is at this point yeah it's true but yeah no i mean they, they are they're absent they are completely absent and yet they are like as you peel back the pages of westerosi and targaryen history like they're they're fairly significant especially in the early days of of the targaryen sort of like drawing up their 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 hegemoniac power right? mm -hmm. valerian is really important for them very much so and they aren't unlike the targaryens which are um what's the name johnny come lately's or something like that <laughs> the, Val yeah. the valarians have been in westeros for a long 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 time so much so that they actually have legends about how they got there rather than a historical record they have the story mm -hmm. about how they got their driftwood throne from the merling king this mythical figure from blackwater bay area that's that's this kind of like signifying like, wow, these guys are so, so old that nobody even remembers it anymore. This is like something even the Andals largely have historical records of how they mm -hmm. got there. You, you can say like, it well, was at this battle. This guy fought that war. This is how they got there. The Valarians are shrouded in history. And actually, the name kind of gives that away, like we were talking about earlier. Valarian Valerian. It sounds yeah. like they just were called like a bastardized version of Valerian and said, like, I guess that's our name now. Yeah, you could almost imagine this this like you know fanfic history of them where it's like a shipwrecked bunch of valyrian sailors mm. and they run some you know some first men or whatever and they're like oh who are you and they're like we're valyrians and they're like is that your name <laughs> they're like yeah whatever that's fine that's cool i guess that's but us yeah, I mean, their their origins uh are, sound a lot more similar to like the the other small houses up and down the the narrow sea um like the the borels or um i'm trying to think of some some of the cigars things like that yeah um uh witch isle some mm -hmm. of those other little little spaces um the spears of the merling king are a, a rock fixture in blackwater bay if i remember right, right um where davos washes up and the merling king is obviously the sigil of house manderley i believe it's kind of weird how that happens. Although a seahorse is kind of like a merling. It's a, a man. It's a it's a ground creature that's in the water. So maybe there's some kind of connection there. Um, right. Seahorses 
I mean, the, the one that I use on the thumbnail here is actually like an actual seahorse, but in other depictions, it's actually like a horse with a fin. So right. it's sort of a right. merging of land and sea with them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but either way, they seem really tied to like more more tied to the um, myths and histories of the narrow sea than to Valyria itself. Which is strange. Yeah. Because they like saying they're Valyrians a lot, yeah. but they, they came to Westeros and you know what island they didn't take? Dragonstone. They took the mm-hmm. other one in the gullet of uh, Blackwater Bay, they took Driftmark, which is apparently a small, fertile island, and they built the very shitty, small castle Driftmark. Whereas the Targaryens came to Westeros and said, oh, look, an active volcano. I can use that and turn that into the sheet of power. The Valarians, for some reason, did not. And I think that kind of gets us to, they're from Valyria, but what part of Valyria are they from? What what social class are they from? And it seems like the Celtigars and the Valarians were beneath the Targaryens. The Targaryens came from the 40 families, uh, one of the ruling houses of the Valyrian Empire, the ones with the dragons. Valarians do not have dragons. Celtigars don't have dragons. But it's I think if you take into account how the Targaryens treat each of them, they take the Valarians way more seriously than the Celtigars. So you can probably do like a power rankings of what they were in Valyria. Celtigars at the bottom, Valarians in the middle, Targaryens on the top. I think that's I think that's a, a good analysis of it because yeah the 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 Celtigars well technically being Valyrian although it was it was always up in the air for a long time in the fandom um, whether they really were or not but the Celtigars are are just not even they don't even care <laughs> yeah compared to the Valer the Valerians um, and yeah I mean they did they they picked a place to settle that was very good for like mundane people mm. uh, not for sorcerers and fire wizards yeah you know for example um, yeah I mean. And and even then, there's not a whole lot of action happening at Driftmark. Like you said, it's kind of a shitty little castle. Yeah. Uh, it's not until the days of Corlys that we actually see like kind of wealth and power from the Valyrians, um, which raises some questions about like, what were they, what were they doing? You what know, are you doing what, that long? Yeah. <laughs> What's what's going on in Driftmark? What's what's exactly going here? Well, I like you were talking about. You mentioned the Borels in which Isle, the Valarians, and also the Celtigars have like this similar strategy where they set themselves up at the bay at the the mouths of these bays. So obviously the Celtigars are on the Cracklaw Point on the Bay of Crabs. The Valarians are in Driftmark. <laughs> on the gullet, which is at the mouth of Blackwater Bay. And you see the same thing with House Burrell, who uh, we see from Davos's POV, and I think in A Dance with Dragons or A Feast for Crows, uh, they're at the they're in um, the bite right outside of White Harbor. And it seems like considering the fact that there's not a lot of industry on Driftmark and the positioning, it seems like the Valerian, the Valarians were probably pirates for a long time. Yeah, yeah. I, look, it would make sense. I mean, it's not something I had thought about until you pointed it out, but it would make a lot of sense because, yeah, I mean, they're, they're famous mariners. They're um, they, they control this, like you said, a really important strategic and trade, strategic militarily, but also like economically for trade. Um, at the very least, they're probably you know charging some high tolls or whatever, and. What better way to extract a toll than at sword point? You know, like um, I'm, yeah, those those Valarians, man. I'm. They may have. They were no angels. They, they were no seen. angels. That's for sure. I mean, <laughs> and especially positioning themselves outside of Duskendale, which was historically the trade port of power in the east coast of Westeros. Uh, before yes. there was King's Landing, Duskendale and the Dusk Kings were where the money came in and out of that um, that whole region, because obviously Shipbreaker Bay 
it's Shipbreaker Bay. Nobody goes there to trade. They all went up to Duskendale and that yeah. whole area in, in uh, the Blackwater Rush. Um, also, I mean, you can't ignore this. The Valerians were slavers. So the Valerians have pre uh, good ties with a lot of the Valerian daughters. So they may have set up initially as maybe a slave outpost. Um, I don't yeah, think I, mean, I, I don't think that's out of the question. They're like a hop, skip and a jump away from the three sisters, right? Mace, Mayor, Tyrosh and Lise. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't remember exactly how the timelines lay out for the founding of those cities and the Valerians. And I don't think we know, but it's reasonable to assume that, yeah, the, the slave trade of Valeria, which we know spanned, you know, through uh, Sothoria, the Sothorios coast and all around, like they even, I believe, raided the Summer Isles, if I remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yep. So, I mean, it's absolutely within reason to assume that a, a couple of uh opportunistic valyrian you know frontier dwellers might be participating in the main economic trade of valyria which yeah was you know selling people into slave labor in the empire i mean that's that's essentially how every family that went out to make the valyrian daughters these colonies they started off doing that they were like well we're gonna go find um someplace in the world and we're going to extract slaves and sell them back to the main empire and from there that's how you get lease that's how you get pentos that's how you get mir that's where all these cities came from so the mm-hmm. fact that the valarians may have been trying to do that in westeros just unsuccessfully and then essentially turned to pirates which we know there are tons of in the narrow sea just sounds like sure especially because there's no port <laughs> there's no port on driftmark right. until corley's valarian builds one which we'll get to later there's no port so, yeah, they're probably not trading all that much. They're probably stealing stuff and selling it in Essos and then coming back. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It makes you wonder, too. You know, it's almost miraculous that the Targaryens and Valarians did not turn uh, the east coast of Westeros into another slave city or something. Um, it's, it's a historical exception. Yeah. Cool. yeah. Um, and the other thing that they're missing is obviously the dragons. There's no Valarian dragons until the Targaryens, well, until Corlys acquires them via his amazing skills basically right. but um yeah so that again paints the picture that they are outside the ruling class of the target of the valyrian empire when they came to westeros although there are mm. hints there were dragons in westeros before and there's hints that that the there are some dragons that were on dragonstone that predated the targaryens so it's yes. possible they came with dragons at some point and then they all died or they lost them like happens to the targaryens yeah yeah that's true that's true um i mean the valerians very well could be a dry run in some ways mm-hmm. not literally in the in the conspiratorial <laughs> sense but in the sense of like and also because they're very wet but oh um, uh, <laughs> wet ass drift mark uh, you know what i don't even remember the point i was gonna make because that was that was uh that was too good. No, but but that but that um much as much as maybe hard home as a dry run for the doom, the Valerians and maybe some failed shitty dragons as a dry run for the Targaryen conquest. Um, it's certainly possible. Certainly possible. It would make a lot of sense, especially with the way that the Targaryens seem to feel a lot of kinship with the Valerians, which they don't with the Celticars. Um yeah. and that gets us to why they become important and that's obviously with house targaryen they had no vassals they had no lands they were mm-hmm. nothing well they weren't nothing but they weren't like a power in westerosi culture there's no hint you go back and read those old stories about like uh the storm kings battle of the river lords and guess what house doesn't come up the valarians because they essentially stayed on their island and said we don't care go do your stuff we're not really yeah. a part of this yeah. Uh, but that changed with Anar the Exile. So as we talked about, Anar came in, uh, settled on Dragonstone, right next to the Valarions, give each other high fives. But Anar and the Targaryens essentially say, well, you know, Dragonstone, you thought this was useless? Like, 
hell no, this is great. We love this. They they apparently I don't they made their amazing castle on, of Dragonstone itself. Uh, they brought their dragons. They brought their eggs. They started hatching. Um, and it's actually this is something I was looking at the the family tree, and it's wild to think about this. The first marriage of a Targaryen in Westeros that wasn't in their family was with the Velaryons. Yeah, and that was the 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 mother of um, Visenya, Aegon, and Rhaenys. Um, which I mean, I I think explains a lot about their later sort of meteoric rise. Um, because the mother of the three conquerors was a Valerian. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, I mean, we've I think we've made it pretty clear they didn't have much in terms of like material power. Like they didn't have armies, they didn't have dragons, didn't really have a port. Um, they what what ships they had for any sort of piracy or anything were not any significant force. But what they did have was uh, rock and bots. <laughs> they, had, they had the silver they were hair. Hot. Well, I mean, we don't. I guess we don't know if they had the silver hair. But yeah, they were. They had the classic Valyrian look. It sounds like, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's something we can kind of take away from that. And I think you know when you're looking at that first marriage, like you said, the the best way to explain it, I think, with all the stuff about Targaryen incest, superstition and all that, it's because they looked like they were related to the Targaryens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and they said so. It's like, whoa, whoa we're Valyrians too. How's it going, man? That's yeah. Hey, baby, what's up? Yeah, it's just us absolutely. left in the world. By the way, we look real similar. <laughs> Which for most people is not a selling point. Valyrians though, oh, well. Now it's Valyrians. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it, we do know that that they provided ships and troops during Aiken's conquest and they, they were something of a presence there. Like, it's not that they didn't provide anything, but I, I really do think a lot of their early power can be attributed to uh, just having the having those Betty Davis eyes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> having those purple eyes and silver hair, although we know from Rain Waters that um and it's kind of hinted at a little bit in fire and blood that they don't look as pretty as the targaryens which may be another way of george saying like um the targaryens were a higher class or something like that again Mm -hmm. reinforcing that there is there was a definite class structure within valyria and that the targaryens considered the valarians more i would guess servants that was the relationship servant to uh royalty which ends up being borne out when the uh, so the Valarians help Aegon the Conqueror, as you said, land in Westeros. It's on their mm-hmm. ships and it's their troops that make up the bulk of their forces at the beginning. But mm-hmm. guess what the Valarians don't get? <laughs> they don't get land. They don't get anything. What they yeah. get is they name Master of Ships and the first Lord Commander of the King's Guard is a another Sir Corlys Valarion. Yes. And there's a, a royal marriage between Aenys the first with Alyssa Valarion, but that did not come with actual power. It's like the same thing Stannis complains about, where it's like the Baratheons got the Stormlands, this giant kingdom, incomes and armies, and what the Valarians got? They got non-hereditary positions and marriages into the royal family, but not back. And you can imagine that probably chafed the Valarions quite a bit because it made sure that all their power was entirely dependent on the Targaryens. They had nothing independent of them. Driftmark did not gain vassals. They didn't gain any castles. That's that's just kind of it. And that's got to feel real shitty for the people that were like the your the early Targaryen best friends. Yeah, I mean, you're getting in on the ground floor of what is going to be like the most powerful dynasty for for hundreds of years in Westeros. And what do you get? You get like one of your sons has to be celibate now. Like, yeah. what the fuck? you know, I mean, you get you get nothing. I think I mean, I think you mentioned Crusader Kings earlier. I feel like it's another example of of Targaryens playing Crusader Kings here where they are keeping the they like the Valerians as marriage material. Mm-hmm. They know they have like pretty good congenital traits in terms of skills and stuff, right? Like <laughs> they're like, okay, we got a good fighter for the the Lord Commander. Mm-hmm. We got a 
ships here. But we don't want you guys getting too big for your britches. We don't want, you know, you're not an actual power. You're just like a stable of pretty people who we can draw from sometimes when our own house isn't isn't quite sufficient to, uh, you know, whatever it is for the gene pool, for the uh, the, the, the the small council jobs. Um, yeah. Yeah. And most importantly, they know that the Valarians work for uh, dragon riding. Aegon, Rhaenys, Visenya, all, all Valarians, and they are dragon riders and they're hatching dragon eggs. So they have to be aware you empower the Valarions, they could very well be a major, major rival. It doesn't seem to be over time. They sort of let that go. They're like, whatever. But they know the Valarions can produce dragon riders. So they're very careful to not empower them, which when you, I, I, it, I can't imagine. Well, I can't imagine, actually, like how annoyed uh, Lord Valarion must have been when Oris Baratheon, this bastard of Dragonstone, was given the entire the Stormlands. That must have been. And that's that's essentially why we see the uh, small council seats and the Lord Commander of the Kingsguards. That was their payoff. But. That wasn't enough, was it, Michael? <laughs> I mean, could it ever be enough? It could never. I mean, the, you know, they got to be master of ships for like 100 years or whatever. That's, it's, Fine. that's cool. But you know what's better than having the title master of ships? What's that? It's being an actual master. Whoa, Coley's Floron, Song of the Sea Snake. Song of the Sea Snake. It's uh, it's time for Song of the Sea Snake, The Adventures of Corley's Valerian, the animated TV show. Your pitch, I, I, your pitch for Maester Monthly. Yes, yes. I mean, look, we're, we're, we are arriving at Corley's Valerian and like, God, think when it comes to historical figures in Westeros who have a truly like storied life, like an interesting narrative driven life. Mm. It's Corley's Valerian. Um, his, his entire life is like a Shakespearean tragedy from Star to finish um he he even has like the swashbuckling kind of side to it like it's not it's not all cerebral there's some there's some you know sailing the seven seas and all that but i'm probably getting ahead of myself here we should we should talk about who corley's valeria (laughs) the man the myth the sea snake talk about who he is that's true to to build onto your point he is basically the protagonist of another really good fantasy story yes Yes, he is. He's a protagonist out there in the world. Although um, an antagonist to the Targaryens, which, you well, know, is I don't think that's something that's really brought up about Corlys a lot, but, you know, we'll get to that. So he is yeah. born in 53 AC to Daemon Valarion, who was the first master of ships. 53 AC, so this is only 50 years after the conquest. Um, he's named for his great uncle, first Lord Commander of the Kingsguard, Corlys Valarion. So you have... You have kind of a, a parallel to we, what you see with uh, other important characters. George has uh, brought up like Aemon's name for Aemon the Dragonite. Um, mm-hmm. You have all these. He likes these parallels of making when there's a repeated name just a couple of generations later. For some mm-hmm. reason within the Valyrians, he makes them very, very important. And that seems to what happens here with Corlys. Um there's a weird thing going on with the Valyrians, and that's that they didn't get so much book learning, but they got sailing mm-hmm. learning. <laughs> Um, yes. Since they were little, they were put on boats as crewmates, not like captains. No Theon yeah. Greyjoy bullshit going on here. Yeah, exactly. It was like an it was like an apprenticeship model. You know, they mm-hmm. they started at the bottom, and uh, well, now they're here. But um, yeah, no, I mean Corley's Corley's does work his way up, almost like a you know you could compare it to the the office of knighthood, right? In the way that you start out as like a, a, a page and then a squire, mm-hmm. and then you were knighted. Um, for the Valer- Valerians, becoming a ship's captain or becoming that kind of 
authority on the water, I think came with the same kind of career track where you started as like a, um, a ship page and then became a ship squire and then became a ship captain, a knight of the sea. And he was apparently amazing at it. He was yes. a prodigy on the waves. He felt the ocean in his blood. Mm. Um, it's said that he got his first boat at 16 called the Cod Queen. What a name. And for his inaugural voyage, he he's Call of Duty, guys. Oh my I mean, God. That's, it's important to know. <laughs> he's, got, he's got a Twitch account, the COD Queen. Yeah. <laughs> the underscore COD underscore Queen. Someone please make the Twitch account and start streaming <laughs> Call of Duty immediately. Send us a super chat or something with yes, that as the name. That'd be amazing. Uh, his big voyage to Dragonstone and back. <laughs> wow. Way to go, Coralies. Yeah, but I will say very symbolic, right? Very like, you know, that's his that's his first inaugural voyage is to to go touch the fiery seat of power ah, and mm-hmm. like a wave, you know, like I, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, I love Coralies. I'm going to read too much in everything he does, but I think that's an interesting inaugural voyage as well as obviously being part of the Valerian Targaryen, you know, power complex they had going on. First thing he does is try and touch the power. No, I think you're right, because if you read Fire and Blood, there's actually a whole section that is George, just George writing biography of Corlys Valerion in the middle of the rest of the narrative. He's like, by the way, I got to stop here and I got to tell you about Corlys because this guy's amazing. And it's like, I think it's like two or three pages just straight of just Corley's history. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also all over the world book. There's tons of stuff about him. Uh, so the basic information we get is at 23, 23 years old. He's a full captain. Uh, he was at 16. Now he's his own boat. He's going wherever he wants. He goes to Old Town, Lannisport, Lordsport, which is in um, Iron Islands. He goes to Lys. He goes to Tyrosh, Pentos, and Mir. He takes the Summer Maid, a different boat, to the Summer Islands and to Volantis. Those, the Volantis is really far. Yeah, and also the Summer Isles are like outside of the Westerosi sphere of influence for the most part. Like, yeah. Like these, the free cities, you know, like Lys, Tyros, Pentos, Mir, like people go, you know, every once in a while. But the Summer Isles, that's that's like a voyage. That's this far. Guy's, guy's serious. He, yeah. He's really adventuring. Oh, uh, thank you for a super sticker from Stephanie Spain, $2. She says, thanks with a purple heart. No, thank you, Stephanie. Appreciate it. I love super stickers. Love just, I think you can, I think I can make some custom ones at some point, but that's, that's another point. Oh, actually, good point here from Guilty Undertaker. Like, good Euron. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yes, he is good Euron. Um, oh, or good, at least good. Euron with Not a, evil Euron. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm not sure if Corlys is good, but he's definitely not evil. Right, yeah. Um, although you could argue that if Corlys was more like Euron, maybe things would have turned out differently for him. Like if he had been... If he, if a little he had, more ruthless. Yeah, if instead of just sailing to Dragonstone, touching it and leaving, he had like sailed to Dragonstone and never left, you know? Yeah. I, I, metaphorically, I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I mean, he, he traveled. So on the Summer Maid, he took this like wonderful pleasure cruise through the South Seas, but like decided that wasn't good enough for him, right? No. Like, yeah. He, he took a he took a decidedly not pleasure cruise next. <laughs> got, bought the boat, the Ice Wolf. Interesting naming convention there, George. Wonder where you're saying the summer and ice those are his ice and fire those are the two names of his ships weird um so he goes to bravos east watch by the sea hard home lorath and even to the port of ibn and it said that he went even further past hard home trying to find a westerosi northwest passage this yes. is this is beyond pleasure cruising at this point he's going full-on adventure yeah and like i mean i mean everyone knows this but when you're in middle ages ass time such as this sailing on a boat 
that long for that kind of uncharted voyage is just like insane. It's it's out of the realm of normal human activity. So, you know, it's it's marvelous that he's trying to find this like Northwest Passage, like you said. Um, and also, I think, speaks to his ambition, right? He's like, well, fuck it. You know, I'm going to open up new trade routes, baby. I'm going to yeah, see the world. Uh, yeah, I'm going to trade with the White Walkers. I mean, you know, it didn't work out. But um, and yeah, he stops at hard home. Wow. Um, which, yeah, I dangerous. Mean, interesting overlap there. Yeah. Someone who is not afraid of wildlings or the Ibanese for that matter, or, you know, Lorathi or whatever. Like, yeah. Like, I would say if you're a sailor in this whole era, saying I went to Ib from anywhere else is like, that's an, that's a lifetime accomplishment. That's like, wow, you made it to Ib and came back. Well done. That's, that could be your entire career. Just doing that, putting the feather in your cap. And it's like, that's just one of them. That's just like the start of his voyages. This isn't even the famous nine voyages. This is just Corley's warming up. And by the way, He's not even Lord of House Solarin at this point. He is right. just Corlys. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's just the son. Like he, he's he's just a rich dude, basically. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, I mean, you're right. We have not even touched uh that that favorite slippery serpent of mine. Oh the sea wow. snake. Phrasing. <laughs> phrasing. We're doing we're not doing phrasing today. Michael, why don't you why don't you go ahead and take take us away and talk about the sea snake and the nine voyages? The sea snake, so he he, he built it custom which I think is kind of also speaks to his ambition, right? He's and wealth. building himself and his wealth. Yes. He, he wasn't just fucking around on these other voyages. He was doing a little bit of, you know, a bit of back and forth. Um, and uh, he, he basically just covered the globe as much as he could. Um, his very first voyage, I feel like, you know, you would think you'd start easy, right? You'd think you'd be like, oh, let me pop around to Lannisport, make sure this baby can handle the open sea, right? But his first voyage, he sails through the Jade Gates to the Empire of Yi Ti and to the island of Lang. Holy shit. This is a this is a journey. I remember there's that that wonderful uh, spreadsheet that lays out, you know, how long certain travel times take and things. Um, this is a journey that takes like a year, right? Like it takes a sailing. long, long time. Yeah, we see it's um, dangerous as fuck, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's insanely dangerous because you're you're the Jade Gates are obviously this straight that you have to pass through mm-hmm. between. It's between Lang and the mainland. Is that it's right? a Karth. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Karth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, I don't know. It's it's just why would you do this right like why well i guess we know why <laughs> we know why he comes back with like twice the money he started with um, which oh, and- uh, that's one of those things that gets thrown around it's like they doubled their money Lawrence didn't have a lot of money so like doubling one dollar is two dollars but um there's a lot of traders in the world that would say one trip to et come back and you will be wealthy the rest of your life and he went to et and lang and et we barely even know what's out there like that is a part of the map that is like the maps that george gives us there's not a lot there we barely know where lang is um and it's like just fills the holds and comes back and by the way again i want to this he came back with super luxury goods that are worth a lot of money and he came back along the places the pirates always sit on trying to pick off dicks like him yes right yeah i mean the 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 pirate kings of the 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 skull isle and and the the coast of Mm sothorios like that that whole region is just insanely dangerous and i mean this won't be the first time he he travels that way um or the last this won't be the last time i mean but uh yeah i mean bold right bold skillful how do you i don't even know how you avoid all those pirates well this could be something along the lines of the Vlarians maybe know how pirates behave because they are pirates i mean it's it's not said how 
he got that silk and spice and jade. I mean, it just says he came back with it. Did he buy it? Did he trade for it? Or was uh, was Corley's plunder in his way? That's a good point. That's a good point. Like, we're told that he's a traitor, but a lot can happen out on the open sea, right? Like, and especially in such such faraway realms. Um, mm-hmm. You know, who else but the people on his ship is going to bring news back of what he did? So, of course, it's going to be like, oh, yes, I, I sat down with the dignitaries and I... <laughs> They just gave me some sweet stuff, but like, yeah, you never know. You never know. But, uh, you know, so I, I, I picture this, I, you know, I'm Corley's Valerian. I've done, I've done my voyage mm-hmm. to Yin Lang. Wow. Amazing. Um, I can't believe you yeah. went that far, Corley's. That's right. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, uh, you'd probably be expecting me to like retire at the top of my game. Right? Oh yeah. You're super wealthy now. No, oh, fuck that. I'm going to a shy bitch. <laughs> and I, like, hop in my sea snake and just, just take off. <laughs> Um, sorry for the PP audio. Um, yeah, his second voyage is to a shy. Sure, a shy by the shadow. Why not? What a guy, man! I mean, it, it, a place that is like legendary everywhere uh, for how dangerous, how magical, all these horrible things, right? Um, and he just goes. He just goes. Gets on the sea snake and just flies or yeah. sails there, I guess. Yeah. And then there's some details that this is apparently a story that George wants to write but did not get to. Yeah. Some some really, uh, I don't know, tantalizing stuff, as always with a shy. I mean, yeah, he can't write about a shy without like tickling us a little bit. But um, yeah, lost his love and half his crew. Hmm. Hmm. How does that happen? What love? I don't know what love this is. Right. Did he meet somebody yeah. in a shy? Did he find love among the shadow? Yeah. Or and how and lost how? Like a lot can happen in a shy lost in the sense of like, you know, she got dysentery or lost in the sense of like was eaten by a shadow goblin. Like there's a lot of wiggle room between these things. That's that's very true. The shy is a crazy, crazy place. And then there's also the detail that while he's in a shy, just no big deal. He happens to see the other famous ship of somebody that George really wants to write a full story about, but has not. And that is Sun Chaser, Alyssa Farman's also custom ship, just at the docks at a shy. And Corley says, I saw it. And now just to refresh everyone's memory, Sun Chaser, the last time we saw it was heading west. Yeah. From, from Westeros. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and we get some details on Fire and Blood, which is another one of my favorite parts of the book. I love, you know. Alyssa Farman. Really, yeah, really captivating stuff. But uh, Alyssa Farman, uh, she goes far, man. And she may have gone as far. <laughs> she may have gone around the world. Like if she's in a shy, she either doubled back past Westeros, mm-hmm. didn't stop by and say hello, um, and made it all the way to a shy, or she circled the globe. Uh, which I mean, it's kind of the only time that George even lets that the lets globe that, part go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's really cagey about that. But um, I yeah. also love the idea that you know Corley Solarian and Alyssa Farman have a lot of interest in common. Perhaps Alyssa. Farman was the love. Now, I'm not sure how the ages play out. Yeah, he's pretty young at this point. He's like 30 something. She's she's a little older. I mean, it said she was a lover of Reyna Targaryen. But, you know, people have can change their interests over time. They have a lot in common. They're Westerosi and a shy. Hey, maybe uh, maybe that's maybe that's the lost love of Corley Solarion. He found Alyssa Farman and she and just like every other lover she's had, she would not stay. That's right. Uh, yeah, like a real, yeah, kind of a Mrs. Robinson thing happening. Mm-hmm. Or like a Catelyn and John type thing happening there. You know, it's true. That classic relationship we love from the fandom. <laughs> a little a little cougarish. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, so he's gone to a shy. He's come back. He's yeah. super, super wealthy now. He's seen Alyssa Farmer and at least her boat. He's done, right? He can't. What, what else could he do? How long can we keep that bit going? <laughs> Nine times, apparently. <laughs> 
Right. That's right. Because this time he goes to the salad islands. <laughs> um, he goes yeah. to the end of the fucking world. Seriously. Yeah. He hits the Thousand Islands, which amazing. Thank you, George. So glad. So glad you named a place the Thousand Islands. Um, the Shivering Sea, Nagai and Mosavi, which are like, like that's deep asswaf lore right there. Like that's, that's stuff that barely exists out of like a little paragraph. Mm-hmm. It's like, just- it's actually Lovecraft Country, like yes. the TV show. But this is actually what this place is. It's like the Cannibal Sands. This is like where all of George's weird references to his favorite authors this is the part of the world they live in. And so George is sort of saying that Corlys left Westeros and went to other books. That's how amazing his stories were. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He's he's mixing genres. You know, Corlys steps out of historical fiction and into like horror. <laughs> like actual horror. Like uh, yeah. it said that in these areas, there's necromancers, there's demon hunters, there's like horrors in the sands. And then we get the description of the, of the people that live on the Summer Islanders. I'm not even sure you can call them people. They are something. They have yeah. green skin, they're hairless, teeth filed into points, they sacrifice sailors to fish-headed gods, and refuse to go into the water. Those That's literally shadows over Innsmouth, isn't it? Yes, it, it, yeah, it is verbatim, like one-to-one with the, yeah, with the shadow over Innsmouth. Um, fish people who are like, you know, in the story, I believe they are children of Dagon or something. They're, yeah. Um, yeah, these like kind of half elder thing. Um, and then Corley's just like stopped by. Like he took the bus to Innsmouth and then got back on the bus and left, which not, classically not, does not happen. Not <laughs> many people do that. And it's noted that the, the thousand islands and seeing his people is that the point that Corley's Valarion, the man that has seen everything, says, no, I'm not down with this anymore. I'm going home. Fuck yeah. this. This is yeah. too dangerous and weird. He didn't he didn't find any new lovers, I think, in the Thousand Islands, it's safe to say. No, uh, probably not. Yeah. Not a good time for him. Um, <laughs> and then there's kind of a gap in his history. We don't yeah. know much about Voyages 4 to 8. Yeah. Nothing. That's where there's a lot of room for a television show. Oh. Fill in some of the details here. Mm-hmm. As pursues his lost love oh. uh, by the hooks. Um, uh I mean, we got to imagine that he he goes to I would imagine he returns to the Summer Isles mm-hmm. at some, um, since his goal seems to be covering like all the known territory. The Summer Isles are famous for their uh, their jealously guarded navigational charts of oh. like far more of the known world than anyone else has. So if I were Corley's Valerian, I would I would put that on my to do list, stopping by there and trying to get my peepers <laughs> on those uh, those those sweet, sweet charts, especially because we know that he already tried to find a Northwest Passage through the northern westeros like he clearly does his curiosity is endless just the fact that he got freaked out once at masovi and the thousand islands and a cannibal sands doesn't mean he's done mm-hmm. he's gonna keep trying because that's just always what he does also yes guilty undertaker dagon Greyjoy is named after a lovecraft story a shadows over Innsmouth. Um, and, uh, Sir Torrin Clegane. Yes. Obviously Alyssa doesn't have to be gay. Bisexuals can't exist. That's what I was saying. She, just because she was in love with Raina does not mean she doesn't have any interest in men. Coralace is also apparently a cutie. So who knows? Um, but the main part of of these voyages is that he continues getting insanely, insanely wealthy. Yes. Somehow. Yeah. Uh, you know, traveling the world and discovering stuff is usually not a money-making proposition, but Corlys right. is doing it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, a lot of his, a lot of the, the stuff written and told to us about Corlys is, you know, the all the luxury goods, the rare things that he brings back, which he can then, mm-hmm. you know, totally sell in Westeros for, for you know, buku dolores. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
but it does. I, I, I think there are some, there's, there's room for some open questions. If you want to be skeptical of Corley's, um, you know, it's a little weird. He just keeps getting richer. It's like a guy who hits the jackpot every time. <laughs> and uh, keeps he, living. He, like yeah. one of these vo- two voyages is probably most people would die. He goes through eight of them survives them all, comes back wealthier each time, and then goes out for more. So either Corlys is blessed by the gods themselves, or there's something more going on about how Corlys acquires his wealth and makes sure nobody kills him. Which is, if you look at the real world history of how explorers did that, usually they killed everyone they found first. Yeah, I mean, I think the ninth voyage actually hits on that pretty well here, because he does something like insane and weird, (laughs) uh, which is he loads his boat entirely with gold. Now, obviously not literally, right? It would would probably sink. But uh, I mean, yeah, no, only cargo is gold. He's just carrying just a a shit ton of gold, which does seem pretty stupid. Um, You know, sailing through pirate infested waters after already rolling the dice you know eight times and then all the times before that when he was doing his smaller voyages on other ships like i mean that's not to say he maybe never got intercepted by pirates or whatever and all, but he's certainly uh i don't know it's tempting fate it's tempting fate right? also he's famous and so is his boat yeah good point everyone knows yeah. he's one of the wealthiest men in the world you see the sea snake wouldn't that be a boat you'd want to take a chance on looting i mean yeah if you're an opportunistic pirate and the sea snake's far from home shit i'd do it <laughs> but apparently no one does that's right because he makes it all the way to karth he returns to the Jade Straits again, basically. Mm-hmm. Jade, um, and while he's there, he buys another 20 ships. Sure. Why not? Just buys them. Uh, sure. Yeah. And uh, loads them with everybody's three favorite things, which are <laughs> spices, silk, and elephants. Why elephants? What's, what's the, what, why? Is he homeless Harry Strickland? What are you doing with the elephants? So I've got a couple theories here about this. Uh, one is that it's a... Are you familiar with Pablo Escobar's hippos? Um, no. Okay, so crime lord Pablo Escobar, very famous, cool guy. I think I'm getting the right one. Doesn't matter. Uh, bought a bunch of hippos for his like personal compound because he thought they were cool. Uh, and then, you know... Ended up in jail, whatever, but who cares? Uh, the, the long story short is that the hippos broke out of the compound, mm-hmm. and there's now a colony of hippos in uh, wherever it was he was. I don't remember what, somewhere in South America. Amazing. Like African hippos. So part of my theory here is that yeah, maybe Corley's was just like, I want some elephants. I want to have elephants around, you know, my my cool hall. Um, the other my my the other flip side here is that maybe he was like he was like on Shark Tank and he was like, All right, I've got this idea. Okay. And instead of other beasts of burden pulling our stuff, we're gonna have elephants. Oh my god. And he was he was like trying to convince everyone of how of how crazy good elephants would be for the Westerosi economy. They're like, Yeah, okay, okay, Corley's. Sure. Sure, why not? Sure. Elephants don't make it though. <laughs> no, they don't only 14 of the ships make it back no bummer but that does have a side effect that at this point Corlys is literally the wealthiest man in westeros like that's amazing the lannisters literally have land support and a gold mine yeah they're sitting on a gold mine and he's richer he has more well i don't know if he has gold but he has more wealth yeah um than anybody else in the world Corlys is rolling in the money He's an adventurer. He's an astounding ship captain. Uh, He's presumably a pretty good fighter and leader to make it this far. He's extremely intelligent. And everyone else in West Coast is kind of giving him the side eye like, all right, Corlys, you're really, really wealthy now. What are you going to do with it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is um, that is a good question. Also, I just want to make a quick note that when we look at the maps that you get when you buy like um, the maps from George, you'll mm-hmm. notice that the places that are filled in are basically everywhere Corlys went and where the map ends is where he stopped going. <laughs> so 
even like George's attentions to detail is basically the world maps are Corlys's maps of his voyage. Yes, it's absolutely true. North and uh, east, the two directions Corlys went in that we know about as far as he could are mapped to the extent of his voyages. Um, and George has, you know, always made it clear that he's he's never going to give like an objective mm-hmm. uh, map or, you know, timeline of the world or whatever. It's always going to be presented through some in-universe lens. Um, and that the maps we see are the maps the maesters have. And, you know, Maester Mathis wrote the book about the nine voyages. We might assume that the hand that drew the maps that we have on, you know, the posters all over our bedroom ceilings are uh, mm-hmm. Maester Mathis's hand. Yeah. <laughs> One right behind me. Yeah, I think I think that's I think that's absolutely true. His impact on us as fans this character that's not even the main books george is making sure like re-emphasizing in little ways like pay attention to this guy is really important and that and this is now he's the lord of the tides his grandfather dies he inherits house valarin and driftmark and Corlys comes up against the classic problem we were talking about with the history of the Valarions, and that is they have no independent wealth, no independent power from the Targaryens. Corlys is now incredibly wealthy, but his wealth is short-lived because he made that money by being himself and right. voyaging across the world and doing these incredible things and living through adventures nobody else should. So you can't really expect House Valarion to continue doing that to remain wealthy. So what are you going to do with this one lifetime's worth of wealth? Well, Corlys, unlike almost every other lord we see in Westeros, invests in his own people. I've never yeah. seen this. This never happens. No, yeah, he's a he's, he's a doctor professor. This guy, his brain is huge. Um, he, yeah, he, he first off, he does build uh, what is in retrospect a very funnily named, hilariously named castle, which is High Tide. Hey oh, uh, because uh, boy, the tide sure does recede after Corlys. Yeah. But, um, yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, you're right. Like, like he does, he perceives very clearly that that the Valerians are only as powerful as the Targaryens kind of let them be, mm-hmm. and it's all soft power and relationship stuff. And uh, what does he do? He makes towers out of beaten silver. Yeah. Um, wow. And uh, uh, yeah, it turns himself into like he gentrifies uh, Driftmark. It's what he does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the way of saying it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he does. He does build not just the castle of High Tide, which is you know as. Uh, like I said, Towers of Beaten Silver, it's this it's this fantastical fantasy castle. Mm-hmm. He also builds towns. He builds Hull and Spice Town. Um, and kind of, you know, pulls together some of the smaller villages to make his his shipyards and there's a trading center and now there's docks and, and there's finally, like you mentioned earlier, there wasn't really a port infrastructure nope. on Driftmark. Now there is. Corley's is uh again, Crusader Kings term wise, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Going in, building the shipyards, right? He's literally doing that. He's going into his uh, his little drop down. He's like, all right, so what do we got on Driftmark? And he's just clicking all the buttons with all of his gold, one after another. And again, right. this is something almost no lords in Westeros do. When a lot of other lords come into a lot of wealth, they either piss it away or they like try and buy Valyrian steel or they yeah. just like throw a lot of parties. Corlys is like, this is going to last. I want House Valarion to be a power in the world. And so much so that, by the way, everybody notices this including house targaryen and king's landing and the uh the lords of duskendale because he does such a good job not only building up hull which which pours out ships throughout his life from this point on hull is constantly building not only warships but mercantile ships and trade ships and he's also used his immense amount of 
contacts from his voyages in order to convince people to come to Spice Town, to come to hold the trade with him. Because Corlys has all this stuff. He has spices. He has silks. He has goods from around the world. So there's actually a reason to come there now. And those two, King's Landing and Duskendale, are not happy about this because they're losing money now because he's yeah. doing such a good job. Yeah. Well, and he has the he has the relationship building too. Like he's actually met all these merchants from all these fantastical other places. And so, mm-hmm. you know, the idea is I think like, yeah, you can come to Driftmark and get the goods, but you can also come to Driftmark and you might like, there might be a guy like parked at the dock next to you or whatever who just sailed in from Karth <laughs> and he can introduce you to his buddy from, you know, Yeet or whatever. Like there's this, this, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's like the being on the floor of the, uh, the, the trading floor mm. on Wall Street, you know, it's, it's like, I, I don't know. I don't know shit about Wall Street, but <laughs> <laughs> networking. Yeah. Networking. Yeah, networking. It's networking. Um, and him building hard power where previously, I think, I think the thing you said about the Valyrian steel swords and wealth, I think that's important. Like wealth to a lot of Westerosi is just an avenue to soft power, mm-hmm. uh, you know, status symbols and, and uh, better marriages and things like that. And those are important in Westeros. But Corley's, I think, very clearly sees like, yeah, it's, this soft power shit doesn't mean anything if we don't actually have like income. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, it's also uh, to your point about like uh, the networking aspect. I mean, you could just go see Corley's Valerion. You get to hang out with them. They're probably friends. And also the fact that they're tur- that whole kind of like Bravos is churning out ships. It's also churning out warships. So what does that mean? The narrow sh- the narrow sea is actually safer because Coralise is now providing security to his port, which That's is right. hugely important to these guys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so much so that of course um, he does you know become uh, master of ships for the for the Targaryens and eventually marries. Uh, <sighs> year old which is a little weird but weird. Mar- 37 16 yeah 37 and 16 it, it, when you do the whole divide by two and add seven thing it still doesn't no doesn't. it's not great but yeah. this is important because it's not just it's not just any targaryen it's the heir to the iron throne the firstborn of aemon son of jaharis that's who yeah. corius's power has the marriage that has bought him that's incredible nobody does this the heir to the iron throne if if you were going to have your daughter be the next queen of Westeros, most of the time you would probably marry her to just some random low-level lord so that the family could not take advantage of it. Instead, Corys makes Jaehaerys give him a power marriage. Yeah, I, it's the opposite of the what happened earlier with, um, you know, uh, Aenys and mm-hmm. Alyssa, um, where the Valerians are married into the royal family, but not in a way that they get anything out of it. You know, yeah. only in this this very symbolic way. But here, yeah, uh, Corlys could very well be the father of the next king of Westeros. Crusader kings, crusader kings. This yes. is what's happening. He does it. Yeah. He's playing the game. He's, he's, he's doing really well. He is. Um, and the dragons, because obviously Rhaenys is a dragon rider and she has Maelys the Red Queen. So mm-hmm. I think that's how you pronounce it. Mallory will correct me on the pronunciation of that. But now the Valarians have dragons a thing the targaryens have tried very hard to make sure their house did not get yes corlys made it happen i can imagine jaharis was super unhappy about all of this um and so are most of the lords of westeros because you don't want a rival power in the same area with all this money with dragons with rainies maybe with the iron throne wow that sounds like a shitty situation if you're jaharis the first right yep and i mean importantly too is that um aemon who would have been king i believe at that point mm-hmm. uh, dies on tarth in battle with myrish pirates um mm-hmm. and so suddenly rainies is not just like the daughter two, of aemon. two layers down yeah she is straight up the heir uh or well we'll see about what, that 
Jerry's, yeah. as I said, not happy about it. Yeah, he's not thrilled, is he? Um, with the idea of, uh, well, he's not thrilled about a lot of things, but in particular, like you said, the Valerians are finally an actual rival power to the Targaryens in every way, including the like soft power ways. Mm-hmm. They have the Targaryen or the Valyrian look. They have the dragons. They have the um, the blood. Really, I mean, they were you know, like we said earlier, who was the mother of Aegon the Conqueror? She was she was a Valyrian. Mm-hmm. You know, the Valerians have kind of a strong claim, and now they have the the wealth and power to actually make something of it. Which Jahari says, hell to the no to. He instead passes over Rhaenys and names his second son, Balon, his heir, which Corlys understands what that means and is super unhappy about it and quits the small council, leaves King's Landing. But it's also noted that this pisses off Alysanne and also the Baratheons. And yeah. um, I, I've talked about this before. Alysanne's problem with Jaehaerys, a lot of it is how he minimized women and in particular women in power the Baratheons and Alysanne in particular. So him saying that Rhaenys could never inherit, well, that that really doesn't go over well. And it loses. Jaehaerys essentially says, it's more important to me that a woman, a woman does not inherit this throne than I have Corlys Velaryon, the richest, most powerful lord in Westeros on my side. That is a hugely dangerous move. Yeah. It's funny, you gotta, I mean, I want to keep rolling, but like, also, we gotta pause for a second and think, like, if Corlys had not become the most powerful man in Westeros, but was instead just, like, a Valyrian-looking, kind of nice dude who lived on an island nearby, mm-hmm. if Rhaenys and Corlys were set to inherit... Uh, Nothing would have happened. It would have been fine. Yeah. Would Jaehaerys have been as spooked? Um, because without without all that power, Corlys is really, he's, he's just as unthreatening as... Uh, Alyssa Valarion, mm-hmm. the White Aenys Tar- Targaryen. So anyway, I think I think it's an important. I, I feel like it's important in the story of Corlys to see the places where he is like creating his own tragedies, even not not through like faults necessarily, but just like the way his rise to power also brings with it uh, this 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 red tide. Ah, oh my god, amazing. Um, so also, by the way, slam that like button 107, 150. I'll put on my cool hat. So, you know, go ahead and do that stuff. Slam that like button. But, but this all blows up in Jaehaerys face because Balon dies in 101 AC and, um, he realizes last time it was a mistake to piss off the Baratheons and the Valarians and the Alysanne at the same time. Well, I think Alysanne's dead at this point, but um, the Baratheons, the Valarians were really unhappy last time when um, when he skipped over, when he personally said no to Rhaenys, yes to Balon. So this time he essentially says, <laughs> great counsel, the Lords of Westeros will decide it for me. Um, and essentially the battle lines break down essentially on, it's really, really interesting. So it's the Baratheons, the Celtigars, the Bar Emmons, uh, the Valarians, Blackwood, Starks, Manderleys, and Dustins support Lainor, who is Corlys' son with Rhaenys. Also, Lena, his other his daughter gets put forward, but she doesn't get many votes. And it's against Viserys Targaryen. Viserys wins in a landslide, and it's really yeah. not hard to see why. Because Viserys apparently made a deal with the High Towers, or Jaehaerys did, and essentially the deal was: you guys are going to stop being so foreign. You guys are going to stop being so Valyrian. You guys are going to try and be more like the rest of Westeros. You can see that the families that were for Lainor were 
Valyrians or basically old god worshippers or northerners, which are generally not considered the rest of Westeros. Northerners are considered their own weird thing most of the yeah, time. They're not uh, Faith of the Seven. Yeah, that too. No Faith of the Seven. It's these uh, kind of outlying houses. Mm-hmm. Blackwoods. Um, Blackwoods is a weird one. Well, yeah, but they, they worship, they keep the old gods, don't they? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so in, in that, uh, I mean, they, they're weird, uh, but also from the perspective of like kind of a, a almost a religious schism. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like uh, if if that's how the Great Council breaks out. Yeah. Uh, And Viserys apparently abides by this because he does not take multiple wives. Um, He tries to he tries to move towards the high towers. He brings an auto high towers hand of the king. Well, Jaehaerys does, but that's probably on Viserys's behalf. Corlys is pissed off at this again, but this time they pay him off. They pay him off because Laenor, his eldest son, who is um, very strongly hinted to be a homosexual, was betrothed to Viserys' oldest and only child, the realm's delight, Rhaenyra Targaryen, yes. um, which in a way is good for Corlys because it again puts him in the position of, I am one generation or two generations away from Valarians being on the seat of power because mm-hmm. Laenor and Rhaenyra's children will be Valarians in George's stupid primogeniture only one house kind of way that he does it which actually isn't realistic you can just say you're a targaryen or valarian if you want to if you're both houses right. anyway or the houses would emerge it would have been like house targaryen valarian or something like that yeah but um yeah. anyway but that doesn't really go that well <laughs> Corlys, everything is kind of blowing up in his face because rhaenyra doesn't like Lainor. Lainor doesn't like her and so she goes off and gets herself um knocked up by the old harwin strong breakbones and everybody yeah. knows. Yeah, yeah. Um, the seed is very strong in those in those games. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's 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 another one of these things where like all of the any any good intentions, although you can you can argue that Jaehaerys bad intentions created this whole problem, but any good intentions are just coming right up against the wall of like, what if two people just really don't like each other? Yeah. Like, what if these people just don't get along? Um, <laughs> which, you know, is I think part of George's whole, you know, maybe critique of monarchy, right, is that that much power should not rest on whether or not two people can get along with each other and not go around banging other people like, you know, you shouldn't you shouldn't hit the lives of thousands on that um but you know corley's uh he's he's like you said in this kind of weird position where he's technically not far from the seat of power and yet uh things are kind of falling apart around him not good yeah yeah um she is rhaenyra is still of course you know she continues for the rest of her natural life to pass off her children as valerians uh no one's really buying it not even corley's corley's knows it's not real yeah yeah doesn't work out um, but it gets even worse because this arrangement between him and Viserys, Emma Aaron, Viserys' wife, dies, and Corlys is like, well, you know what? We'll fix this whole Lenor Renera thing. You, Viserys, will marry my 12-year-old daughter, Lena. And Viserys says, no, I don't think you remember this, but during Great Council 101, I made this deal with Otto Hightower. So I'm going to marry Allison Hightower in order to pay off this debt. Corlys, once again, is like, what the fuck, you guys? Yeah. Yeah. Right. How come you won't marry my 12 year old? He, he bellows, you know, again, yeah. Corley, yeah, yeah, maybe not. But, um, and also I got to say another crusader Kings moment here. How many times have like a marriage alliance broken in the game? Cause someone dies of like the plague and I'm like, Oh, okay, well that's cool. I've got like 12 more kids here. Have another one. Like, will this one work? Let's, let's make another alliance this way. Uh, and you end up with these really like fucked up intermingled. Yeah. Like, um, that's exactly what Corley's is doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little desperate though. It's a little scrappily doesn't work out so who does he turn to bad bad idea yeah i mean he he turns to the other cool guy who sails around a bunch in this time in history um bad idea. Damon. damon the rogue prince sir 
I mean, uh, what's his name? Lord Fleabottom? Yeah, the Lord of... Yeah. yeah. Corley says, well, nobody else wants Damon, but he's a Targaryen, so... Why don't I just ally with Damon and this will be my new way to power since Viserys is giving me the middle finger and Otto Hightower. Michael, why is it a bad idea to ally yourself to the rogue prince? Well, he's a rogue. Oh. Uh, he, but hang on. I've got something for this. He's something of a of a wild card. Uh, no, but he is. I mean, he's he's a really unpredictable, shitty ally. Mm-hmm. And like, um, yeah, I mean... I, they they do um they do some cool stuff together right they 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 you know they drop in together into the same battle royale and they uh, uh take the stepstones um in fact, they call stones and Corley is very generous excuse me very generously uh, allows Damon to be the king of the stepstones in the narrow sea which you know Corley's honestly bad move there buddy you really no. should have yeah um, that's not gonna help Damon- it with Viserys you're not gonna mend that relationship by crowning his brother who he has exiled. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's really he's like he's like trying to do two things at once here, right? He's like trying to pursue power for himself, but also ingratiate himself to the people who are in power. It's it's not a winning strategy. No. And then at the end of this, um, Damon's wife from the Vale, I forget her name, she dies. And he's and Corley says, well, we're best friends. You're the king of the Stepstones. We're, we're in this together. Why don't you marry Lena? And Damon's like a great idea. Mary's Elena has two twin daughters, Bela and Reyna, who are both amazing. They are badass women. They are incredible in fire and blood. But then things go south because Damon is a murderous, treasonous, traitorous dick. In 120, Lena dies in childbirth. And after that, there is a series, a long series of politically motivated what look like assassinations that look to all be engineered probably by Damon. Yeah, it's not great. Yeah, so, so Lena dies in childbirth. Then Lenor is is suddenly stabbed by his lover, Sir Carl Corey, um, which Mushroom, like you mentioned, uh, Mushroom claims that this is uh, an assassination on Damon's part. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably is. She, Lenor is married to Rhaenyra. Damon yeah. has been trying his whole life to marry Rhaenyra. Lenor is the only one in the way. Wow, he dies right after Damon loses his wife. That that is convenient to the max. Yes, absolutely. Sorry, I was just fixing my my it's white okay. belt a little bit. I want to look cute like you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a long time coming, and also is just again this like further escalation and things getting worse. And also, again, can't help but be reminded of Crusader Kings, where you just start <laughs> assassinating. Kings. Suddenly, like you're running out of people. Like, holy shit! Uh, all my all my kids just died. They're all killing uh, each other. Shit. And so Corley's decides to get in on the action. Um, maybe. And maybe. This is, I think we had a question about this from earlier. Um, yeah. But so, so Rhaenyra's lover, um, Harwin Strong. So this is uh, just a review for those who might be confused by the family trees. This is Corley's daughter-in-law, yeah. uh, his son's wife, his son who has been killed. killed. Uh, and this lady has also uh, cheated on his son and had a bunch of kids who don't look anything like them and caused a whole bunch of political problems. Also might be fucking her uncle at this point. I can't remember if that lines up, but... Uh, and maybe Kristen Cole. Oh yeah, Kristen Cole. Anyway, he doesn't like her. Uh, and so the the guy who is probably the father of her children <laughs> mysteriously dies in a fire. With his father at Harrenhal. Yeah. Meanwhile, Lara Strong is Master of Whispers, I think, at this point. Harwin's younger brother, who now inherits Harrenhal. And also Alice Rivers is in Harrenhal. Uh, the bastard daughter of Lionel Baratheon, who's super happy because she basically now rules Harrenhal with Laris and King's Landing. Yep. Seems very likely that Corlys or Damon was behind this one, too. <laughs> working with Laris, especially because Laris and Corlys are allies later on a different murder. But anyway, 
Um, and then, yeah, uh, there's 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 a few other murders, but they all work out really well for Damon Targaryen. Everything's coming up Damon, which should tell you they were probably engineered by Damon. <laughs> yeah, he's a man who makes his own luck for sure. Yeah. Uh, and that kind of brings us to the dance, right? To the to the escalation of conflict to the point of war. Yeah. Um, before we do this, by the way, spoilers, if you're if you're watching this as we come up to uh, House of the Dragon, you're like, I want to learn about Corlys Valeron. He's been cast. What do I know about him? We're about to tell you what happens probably in, Hot, in House of the Dragon. So like this was all backstory before this. This is what's going to happen during the show most likely so michael what's going on with corley's at the start of the dance of the dragons what's the situation okay well uh sit rep um <laughs> so, so corley's i mean he's he's in rhaenyra's camp um whether he likes it or not um but more accurately is is uh kind of attached to daemon yeah uh, riding daemon's dragon here in in that sense um yeah yeah in that sense too maybe um yeah i mean and of course as we mentioned earlier he is uh enormously powerful in terms of ships um um, he is he controls the, uh, the the gullet. You know, he controls the Blackwater Bay. Um, mm-hmm. Is going to be a, a the strategic battleground for the dance. The dance basically takes place on the in the Crown Lens and in the east coast of Westeros, with a few very minor exceptions. So, mm-hmm. you know, his position here, he is standing athwart the gullet um, with many lives in his hands. Um, and of course, he's he's in this really uncomfortable position. He doesn't like Rhaenyra necessarily. Her her, her bastards, uh, Jay. Luke and Joffrey um everyone knows they're bastards um and so he's kind of relying on like any future relationships to to work out here um any future connections that is with Rhaenyra and Daemon Mm -hmm. hoping Um, that this this new marriage between them kind of works out in his favor which it he kind of does he continues his wheeling and dealing although I want to take this moment and point out that Corlys is really good at some things and not very good at other things. And the things he's not good at are court politics. He's really mm-hmm. good at understanding economics. He's really good at trade, maybe pirating, building relationships for like for wealth and um, and setting up these long term marriages. But he's not good at being subtle and he's not really good at his plans working out. He, he's the kind of guy um, that has his great plan and he lets everybody know it and then kind of lets them try and take it apart. And that's sort of what happens. Yes. Which is, you know, should remind us of a certain protagonist of a game. Ned of Stark. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's um, Ned Starkish in that way. He's really good at some things. He's not very good at this part, but he's so powerful that he's you cannot he he will be a part of it no matter what. That's right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's still trying to play that long game. Um, so I think it's fair to say that he doesn't exactly like enjoy the dance with the dragons. No, it, it's 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 a bad time for Corlys Velaryon. The dance is mm-hmm. pretty, pretty shitty for him from like top to bottom. Yeah. I mean, it, it kicks off. We, we kind of kick off for Corlys here with uh, his wife, the queen who never was Rainey's. She's ambushed by Aegon II on Sunfire and Aemond one eye on Vagar at Rook's Rest. So his wife is just just ambushed just his wife that he loves his yeah the, yeah, he likes a princess the yeah, dragon rider the big dragon rider in his camp the one that is it's and she's gone yeah, this is like the crazy. opening steps yeah yeah uh the dragon and the rider are both killed uh Corlys is pretty pissed off about this understandably um yeah i it's th- there's a lot of uh, you know we i, I want to kind of limit the scope as much as possible because there's a lot of like which kids are riding which dragons and yeah which dra- to whom and who's in whose camp and all that i think the um, the important part right is that Corley's right from the get-go uh he kind of has some of his best assets snatched out from under him emotionally and like tactically yeah that's true uh, yeah do you want to do you want to carry us through the next sure. part here um and this also continues to make Corley's extremely mad at rhaenyra 
because the whole reason that Rhaenys dies is because she was on her own. Jason, uh, Luke were prepared to jump on their dragons and go with her. And Rhaenyra, which she does throughout the entire war, says, no, they can't go, which is confusing because she's now married Damon and Breakbones is dead. But Rhaenyra obviously very clearly cares about these three kids, despite the fact that they are Breakbones' kids and that they are causing all the conflicts. She's not willing to let them go in any way. She doesn't, she doesn't even want to risk their lives. Maybe yeah. a more um, Crusader Kings player would be like, oh, I'm going to put this kid, I'm going to put Jason in charge of an army and march him into like a slaughter or something like that if you want to get rid of him. Rhaenyra is not willing to do that. Um, she very clearly loves them deeply, but that leads to Rainey's dying, which makes yeah. Corlys essentially again throws the fingers at everybody. Hey, remember how I said that Corlys isn't very good at court politics? He does it again. He pulls all of his support of the of the blacks at this point, which mm -hmm. Jace only brings back because he bribes Corlys to be hand of the queen, which he isn't really because Damon's the hand of the queen most for the most part. Right. Yeah. It's it's probably the best example of like the meaningless soft power titles that the Valerians end up with. Yeah. Um, where it's yeah, it, it doesn't change anything for him. It all it also doesn't change the fact that he has basically at this point no good heirs. No. Lenor and Lenor are dead. Um Lenor's sons are very transparently not Valerians. Um and he doesn't like them very much, it seems. Um uh Bela and Reyna, who are um Lena's daughters with Damon. So it's mm -hmm. all little ancestors here, but Bela and Reyna are are engaged to Ju Jason Luke, if I remember yep. right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um he's not a huge fan of that either. Um so he very conveniently is like, hey, check it out. I found these two guys. <laughs> These two guys uh, down the street from me, Adam and Alan, um, Adam and Alan of Hull. Are that is convenient. Me. How did he find those kids? Uh, he's so sharp. Well, I mean, of course, they are Lanor's kids. Just oh, kidding. really? Lanor yeah. produced kids. That's strange. I thought the whole thing about Lenor is that he didn't have any kids because that, that's the whole thing about the other ones. So wait, so how? Yeah. So he not only had kids, but he cheated on Rhaenyra, the most beautiful woman in Westeros? Yeah. Weird. Weird. I mean, I'm I, I'm definitely of the opinion that these are Corlys' natural yeah. children, right? I mean, these are these are his bastard kids who he I, I would bet that he kind of knew about them in a like uh Varys knows about Gendry sense. Mm -hmm. Back pocket. Yeah. In case exactly. things go really wrong, well, he's got these kids. And actually, mm -hmm. one of them is a dragon rider, That's unbelievably, right. which That's tells right. you that uh whoever he cheated on Rhaenys with was probably Valyrian too. Yeah, there's something there's something fun funky about their parentage. Um yeah, so he he does. He comes back into the war. Uh now that he's got some heirs, he's feeling mm -hmm. a little about this whole thing. Um gets gets his ass just handed to him on a platter. This isn't uh, good. Loses half of his ships. Um, this is the the the, the, the triarchy. 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 Do you want to do you want to tell the folks what the triarchy is? I have to remember exactly who's in the triarchy. Yeah, <laughs> so that's what I was asking you. Uh, uh, so I, the triarchy is Mir, Lys, and uh, Tyrosh. They essentially, after oh, yeah. Damon and Corlys went ham on them taking the stepstones, they essentially said, "You know what? We're gonna." Go ahead and ally up because Damon's a nightmare. He has Caraxes. Corlys is a huge world power at this point. We need to, like, you know, put our shit together in order to compete. And they do. <laughs> yeah. And they really put their shit together because they hand it to Corlys. They, again, take out half his ships. Um, this is as much a, like, long-term strategic thing for them as it is for, um, as it is any sort of short-term, like, tactical thing. I mean, they, yeah, they, they probably entered this war just to do this. Yes. And specifically by this, we're talking about the sacking of High Tide. 
Mm. Uh, which you know earlier we mentioned it, towers of beaten silver it was corley's treasure hall um for it to be sacked is for the tide to recede it's for low Corley's tide all the yeah low tide baby uh lose all the wealth that made him corley's also they burn spice down to the ground uh, that's not good so they they particularly went after the things that makes damon a competitor to them international trade and actually as we were talking about well he invested everything in this infrastructure they destroyed the infrastructure they destroyed right. his ship lead they destroyed his trading port and stole probably the rest of his money so Corlys is actually not the most powerful lord in westeros after this anymore and he just kind of takes it on the chin for rhaenyra who and daemon who by the way do not reward him for this no yeah um and i mean you know he he, he Corlys at this point is willing to make peace right he's, mm-hmm. he's he sees the writing on the wall again much like a crusader king's player being like oh fuck now it's gonna take me four hours to rebuild this shit <laughs> And this stupid yeah. war. But he made a, a severe error, um, which is that he became an ally of Damon Targaryen. Whoops. Yeah, big whoops, man. Uh-oh. I mean, that, not- oh, you thought Damon, the guy who broke every promise he ever made, who went back on every promise, who probably killed at least one of his wives. Um, you think that guy is going to reward you for your big sacrifice by taking on the triarchy? Absolutely not a chance. Yeah. Um, yeah, Corley's... Mm. It's not great. It's not great for him. Um, and then he's he's uh, put in jail for um, quite a long time. Yeah, yeah. He's jailed by Rhaenyra um, for um, uh, uh, tipping off some of the dragon seeds, the mm-hmm. the sort of bastard dragon riders, um, tipping them off about some impending arrests that were coming for them from Rhaenyra. Yeah, and this is actually Damon's fault. So this is after Damon had shacked up with nettles, and someone had told Rhaenyra this was happening. Um, and therefore, Rhaenyra essentially puts out bounties on the heads of Nettles, but also sort of gets it in her head that she can't trust dragon seeds anymore. And that includes Adam and Alan Valarion. And also the dudes, uh, was it Ulf the White and Hugh the Hammer? Because yeah. earlier in the war, we, we didn't cover this because there's a lot to correlate. But essentially, they put out a call. Anybody that can ride a dragon, try. A lot of people tried. A lot of them died. But those that kept them were mostly bastards of the Targaryen family or Adam or the Valarion family. And Rhaenyra says, I can no longer trust these people, tries to arrest them. Well, Adam is Corlys's effective heir at this point. He's not going to let Adam be captured and put in jail by um by Rhaenys, by Rhaenyra. So he essentially jumps on the grenade. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He ends up in jail. Um, doesn't go well for Rhaenyra, though, does it? Uh, I mean, no, that's the thing is that like, um, this is, this is where the blacks are really eating themselves. Mm-hmm. The blacks? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, God, the dance. Um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're just like turning on each other, uh, really consuming their own forces. Um, it is not until, um, Aegon the second comes down to visit him that Corlys is able to leave the jail. Um, and in the meantime, I mean, again, we're not going to like cover every detail of the dance, but, uh, it doesn't go great for Rhaenyra. No, like like Aegon the first if like all of a sudden his ships turned around because he pissed off Corlys that's essentially what happens here loses just yeah. a bulk of their power as the Valarians re- rebel um like you yeah. said Aegon or Perkin the Fleet it's not really sure which releases Cor- Corlys who agrees at this point because he has lost everything like right. well, not everything but he he was on his way to being the new Lannisters of the East Coast now he's going to be happy to just remain like the Valarions under the Targaryens. He's like, I'll go back to that. Let's end this war right now. Um, hand out pardons. This is all over. Yeah. Um, it's it's cool. Lara Strong gets Alicent uh, Hightower on board for it. Um, 
Lair Str again, like I said, Lair Strong and Corlys working together here. Looking back on the death of the Strongs, can kind of put that one together. Watch for that in the show. They're probably going to be best buds. Um, Aegon, though, nixes the whole thing. He's like, absolutely not. I can't forgive these people. I've been like burned half alive. Sunfire is like almost dead. You've killed tons of my family. Like blood and cheese has already happened. I have to make everybody pay. Corlys storms out in his classic move. And then yeah. someone goes to bring him back. Who is it? Lair Strong. Yep. And the story we get from Fire and Blood is that the two of them work together to kill Aegon II in order to end the war for for once and for all. Yeah. I yeah. I would that sounds right to me. Um yeah. that's that's probably exactly what happened. I, I yeah, I would agree. And also I think you're right that their buddy buddiness here is is good evidence for them working together on the Harwin Strong joint. Yeah, uh, that like they they had already collabed once. You know they 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 knew this game. Um, and I think there's also kind of a redo here of of uh, the the kind of weird almost camaraderie between uh, Varys and Ned at mm. the end of Thrones, um, where you have these two unlikely people. One of them this very slippery dude, and one of them this very like man of action. Um, but they end up as unlikely allies trying to forestall the like insane deeds of this like miserable awful boy king um uh it's just that corley is is willing to kill the king he's willing to kill the the joffrey lannister of his time um which is again the second although weirdly george then punishes him <laughs> with the actual ned stark of the yes. story yes hour of because the wolf Ow! hour of the wolf oh do it do a good howl what do a good howl yeah do it Ow! perfect yeah. hour of the wolf Cregan Stark comes in. He's not big on people killing kings. Uh, he takes over King's Landing. He holds his trials, if you can call them that. He puts to death Lara Strong for killing Aegon II. He sees through the bullshit. He's like, I know exactly what happened. You wanted to stop losing everything, Corlys. Laris, you were on board for this because you've kind of got what you want. You have hair and all at this point. Like you just want to, you just want to end it. You have your power. You guys did it. Kills Lara Strong. Uh, is about to kill Corlys, but he's spared. Corlys walks away from this unbelievably. Jesus. In a disputed, um, I don't, I don't exactly know how it happened. George isn't even clear on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Bela or Reyna or maybe Black Alley Blackwood mm -hmm. appealing behalf. I think no matter what the story we get is that it's it's kind of like a woman's mercy mm -hmm. that saves Corlys um, from Cregan. Um, and yeah, I mean Corlys is is if I remember right, pretty physically fucked up at this point, right? Yeah, he's been in jail for a while. Um, he got beaten up when he initially got arrested by Damon. But I say by Damon, it was by Damon. I mean, Rhaenyra sent out the orders, but it's it's Damon was really in control of a lot of this. And it yeah. seems like he tends to turn on his partners. And it seems like him imprisonment was Damon yeah. going like, I've had it. I don't need you anymore. You're not as powerful. You lost your ships. We're just going to go ahead and uh, get rid of you. But um, yeah, and I think it speaks a lot for Corlys's character that at the end of this war, that there are still people that really, really like him. There are people that are still in his camp. And I think you can understand why as we're going through this. Was there anything Corlys did that was like super immoral? Was there anything he did that was like out of the norm? Was there anything he did that most lords would not do? No, no, he fought pretty not. much by the rules. And that's kind of why he took it on the teeth. Yeah, right. And and I think, you know, he was fulfilling the lordly role, too, of like trying to advance your house's power. You know, he was he was trying to make the good marriages. He was trying to. Um, yeah, I mean, he he was living the American dream of Westeros. Um, <laughs> and, 
Yeah, I mean, it went one way. Now, look, I mean, he he lived out the rest of his days as the regent for Aegon the Third, which there's worse ways to live out the rest of your days. Um, yeah, he finally passes away at the age of seventy nine. Which what a seventy nine years! I mean, seventy nine—that's nothing to sneeze at in Westeros, especially, especially when all, you're a guy who can shit. Especially all the places he get. Like we know that there's crazy diseases around the world that everybody gets and dies from in like horrific ways. He dodged all of those. He dodged. He dodged nine voyages worth of pirates. He lived through an entire civil war only to die as regent in king's landing having lived through a war where he was on the wrong side unbelievable not only on the wrong side but like had no actual i mean it it is i feel like we aren't dwelling enough on the fact and we don't have to but uh, that it's insane that he survives the hour of the wolf Uh, it should not have absolutely not they had him dead to rights He did it. Yeah, I mean, literally at their mercy. Um, and the Starks are not known for mercy. Or ain't. Um, but no, instead, it's it's uh, natural causes that takes the, snake, the sea snake. Um, he's buried at sea on the sea snake. Oh, the Viking is, funeral. Yeah, the boat is set aflame, um, presumably by a better archer than Edmure, and set out over the sea. And then we get this this kind of weird, like, postscript yeah, at the end. What the fuck? Uh the, the cannibal dragon, cannibal the dragon, yeah, uh, very rarely seen. Um, it's too dangerous, nobody out. gets near him. He killed yeah. every dragon seed that tried to take him. Yeah. But cannibal flies out over the ship as it sails off, burning with Corley's on it, which is strange um, because it's from Driftmark, not Dragonstone. So, cannibal went to Driftmark and flew, flew over a burning ship. For some reason. Um, yeah, it's I don't know. I feel like, you know, if I were writing fan fiction, I would take that. I would take the parentage of Adam and Alan and I would I would like smoosh those together into a story about like Corley's secret life or something, <laughs> you know, like. Yeah, it's uh, it's strange. It's also well deserved. If anyone deserves a dragon salute at their, their funeral, it's Corlys. The strange thing though is Corlys is not a dragon rider, and only I think of his kids. I don't. Did Lainor have a dragon? I don't think he did. I don't think Lena did. Man. I don't think his kid had dragons. I think it was just Adam. Oh no! Uh, wait, yeah, she rode Vagar. I'm sorry, I got that wrong. Lena rode Vagar, and Lainor. Let me look this up. I am looking she, this one on a she, wiki. She, forgot oh i got that so wrong i I had such passion for it and i got it completely wrong uh and lanor with uh rode sea smoke so maybe there's a hint here that if um Corlys had put his mind to it instead of uh, traveling the world he could have he could have seen the world on dragonback the cannibal reference Ooh. is very strange but it's also probably like a thematic thing the idea that it's Corlys's influence that led to a lot of the uh, cannibalistic targaryen valarians essentially eating themselves That's a really good point yeah yeah um yeah they are the snake who can you know the the the, the ouroboros yeah of- of life or the end um, of the valyrian empire like what corlys did is probably what happened in valyria many many times and the infighting mm-hmm. is largely yeah. what we know led to the downfall of valyria that's true that's true the doom writ small here corlys yeah. the awesome one who accidentally destroys everything um so we have a just a few minutes left here we have some patron questions and a twitter question actually patrick doherty his his is actually related to this. We are going to get to this. Um, and we'll run through these. Uh, you guys have any questions left in the chat? Just at me, bro. This is the one time you can at me. Me and Michael will do our best to talk more about a little bit of, of Corley's. Uh, so the first one, actually, let's do Patrick's right now. He said on Twitter, could Corlys Valarion be a warg? I was wondering if Cannibal with his green eyes could have a connection to the old gods. He has green eyes. Interesting. 
Maybe that's why he always eats hatchlings and eggs. Someone was warging him to do so. And there's a, there's a whole thread about it. But essentially, he, he's wondering if like the connection between Cannibal and Coralise wasn't just like thematic, wasn't like the cannibal dragon that is Coralise. Maybe it was like a real one. And if he'd ever wanted to, maybe that's the reason that Cannibal never was written by anybody else. His true writer was Coralise who denied him. Yeah, I mean... That's a fantasy element right there. <laughs> Yeah, it is a little for a guy who traveled all these magical places and all that. Corley's like it's weird. He never tried, right? That's what I'm saying. Like, it seems suspicious almost how how not interested he was in like sorcery stuff. Um, mm. I wonder. I mean, I think it's possible he could be doing it without even knowing. You True. Know, you can imagine a Corley's having these really weird dreams at night where he's like, you know, eating the other dragon or, you know, whatever. And he wakes up and he's like, well, that was fucked. Um, <laughs> it's it. actually cannibal. He's actually Wargate. Yeah. I mean, yeah. actually, if he did the song of the sea snake, it would be interesting on his first trip on the cod queen the dragonstone if he saw cannibal and they locked eyes oh, fuck yes see this is why this needs to be a television this needs show. to be a show yeah. hire michael and me we will write this for you the song of the sea snake i don't i don't think it's off the table i mean clearly the valarians are a magical valerian family cannibal is ridiculously hard to get to do anything that's the whole point that's his that's his whole thing so like that would be kind of interesting if there was a latent connection there especially like i was talking about at the beginning like well cannibal was there before the Targaryens. He's super old. What if he is That's the right. last Valarian dragon? Whoa, there it is. Boom. Fuck, man. That's, I like that. Yeah. Especially because Cannibal is like, I think he's like dirt brown or something like that. Whereas the Targaryen dragons are really fantastical in color. So maybe, maybe Cannibal and the Valarian dragons were like discount dragons. Dollar dragon. Yeah. Great value. That could be interesting. I, I, that, I would read that fanfic. Get you on that. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it would be it would be just like George to put something in that right at the end as with all these other hints about the weirdness of the Valarians. Um, a question here from Eric Forig, one of my patrons. He says, uh, where do you where do you rate Coilis as a suspect in Harwin's death? I would say nine out of ten. The only one out of ten is that it also really helps Damon to get rid of Harwin to make sure that Rhaenyra has all of her lovers off the table. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think, yeah, I would agree. Nine out of ten, maybe just that Corlys is not, like, wouldn't pursue that. Like, he doesn't murder all, but then, he, then again, he murders Aegon the second. So, yeah, I mean. He, I he does have a murderous streak, so it's not like he wouldn't do it. And and like like I was saying about Larry's and him, like, it seems like they were buddies. They might have worked together in the past. This would be their opportunity to do so. It helps Larry's. It helps Corlys. It helps Alice. Alice Rivers was probably the person on the inside that lit the fire because being a bastard in a family like that probably didn't go over super great um yeah. hang on a second i got a paypal here from aaron ah. 20 dollars, aaron thank you that's super that's... sweet of you um she says great stream love you and michael is a fun and fascinating duo hello also want to wish a happy birthday to steven stark our friend and kick-ass dude that's right steven stark who's probably playing dungeons and dragons right now it is his birthday so when you watch us on replay happy birthday steven <laughs> Happy birthday. That's wonderful. I could see him playing the sea snake. Oh, it's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think the Harwin's death question. Yeah, definitely. Like nine out of ten. It's Corlys was behind it. <laughs> it. It makes sense, too, because he he doesn't he particularly goes like Luke, Jace, and I think Joffrey are still alive when he digs up Adam and Alan. Yes. I'm pretty sure uh, at, at least, least some of them are still alive. So he's clearly moving on from the Strongs. Yeah. He does not consider them kin, I would say. Yeah, yeah. So that would check out. Like, 
I know he's mm. it's it's not even it's, they're not even remotely related to him. They're just Rhaenyra's kids. So yep. you can see him being mad at Rhaenyra, but also really mad at Harwin, especially because like there's do you remember this? There's a detail in Fire and Blood that Harwin is at their births. Oh, my God. That's right. Yeah. He just showed up. Lainor and Harwin are in this in the birthing room. You have to imagine Corlys Valerion is just standing outside going like, <laughs> Harwin, why are you here? Oh, what a surprise. Oh, oh, they turned out looking like a bunch of Strongs and a bunch of uh, North or uh, Old God worshippers. That's weird. Oh, right. Fucking Rhaenyra. Fucking Breakbones. Uh, yeah, yeah. Be rightfully so. And in, like, actually, that's one of those things that I've wondered about. Um, the way that Luke, Jace, and Joffrey go down. Most One of them's not an accident. Aemon One-Eye chases him down and kills him. But the other two are kind of strange. You have to wonder if Corlys maybe had like a sub plan of getting rid of them. Because he doesn't oh, want them to inherit House Valarion, but they are going to as it stands. I'm going to I'm gonna have to roll away from the camera for a second to Google something. Oh boy. Rolling away. Um, <laughs> Mallory, what are you drawing? Are you drawing Harwin and Lenor? Are we, sorry, Michael, what'd you say? I'm trying to remember. Um, okay, so Jace Valerion. I'm, I'm looking up how the three, the three of them died. How uh, Jace, Joff, and Luke. Luke dies uh, by aiming one eye. Jace dies, Jace I think, in a riot. A, yeah, no, he, so he dies. Uh, he's in the Battle of the Gullet. Oh, and he gets yeah, he gets shot, and then he's like clinging to wreckage and is shot by Myra's crossbow quarrels until he sinks. Maybe that's not what happened. Maybe it was the Valarian bows that turned on him. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm I'm at there too. Um, and Joff, of course, dies in the the dragon pit uh, trying to tame a dragon because Rhaenyra had him with her the whole time. Oh, Cor- but, Mally's gonna draw Corlys and Cannibal. There you go, perfect. Draw that one. Uh, that would be awesome. Um, but anyway, I mean, sorry, I didn't mean to rabbit hole that too much. But that's yeah, good. like, uh, yeah, you can see Jay. Ace's death at least being, you know, in the heat of battle. Maybe Corley's is like, hey guys, uh, just just pop a few over there real quick. Also because Jace was supposed to be married to either Reyna or Bela, and Luke was supposed to be married to the other one, but we get the stories about Jace, and he apparently got married in the north to Sarah Snow. So this is fucking up Corlys' plans even more. Oh shit, yeah. He's Ooh, messing up okay. everything for Corlys. Oh damn, I love this dark Corlys we have. So um, maybe, truly. maybe, maybe he, this is why I say I'm not sure he was a good person, but I'm not, I'm not sure he's exclusively bad, but there's a lot of room here for Corley's taking out hits on people. He has the money. He definitely has the connections. He's buddies with Laris Strong. Although I don't, how much would Laris kill jo- uh, Jace? Well, he doesn't seem to be very fond of his older brother, Breakbones. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, if well, yeah, yeah. You know, speaking of that, I think uh, there was another question too about Lenor's marriage, right? Um, which I think is a, a relevant. One. Oh yes. Uh, how did Corlys anticipate Lenor's marriage working? Was he in denial about Lenor's leanings, or do you think? Lenor would dutifully put the work to produce heirs. I think it's the second one. I think uh, Corlys very clearly expected this to produce the next king of Westeros who would be a Valarion. That's what he was hoping for. And he knows that Lenor and Rhaenyra don't like each other, but he probably, in much the same way that he lived his life, he probably appealed to his sense of duty. He's like, look, I went all around the world. I had a lot of fun. You can have fun too. Have your your boyfriends on the side, Lenor. But when I came home, I put everything into House Valarion. I put all the money here. I didn't waste it on anything. We're trying to build something here. You're on board, right, Lenor? Yeah, totally. You're definitely yeah. gonna gonna produce heirs, right? Absolutely. Doesn't do it. And isn't he what too? I mean, for all for all that we talked about evil Coralies, uh, you know, he he is not like uh, philicidal or whatever. Like he's not gonna just 
kill off his male heir. No. And Laenor is his male heir. Like, if if Corlys wants to play the Game of Thrones, he has to play. Mm-hmm. And playing Game of Thrones means your male heir is the most important one and is his best shot at getting a Valerian on the throne of Westeros. So, I, you know, I, I feel like there's got to be a part of it where it's like, well, fuck it. This is my one shot. Like, I don't have another option. I don't have a backup son. I don't have, you know, any other choice. Well, he has here. a backup daughter, which he then tried with Damon. Exactly. Yeah. Like, he's, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think he was in denial necessarily about Lainor, but rather was just like firmly believing that like, well, I'm putting all my eggs in this basket. This has got to work. Yeah. Aaron in the chat brings up a good point. Um, Renly was prepared to do the same thing. There's been there's plenty of rulers that were not either sexually attracted to their wives or didn't even like them. Some of them hated them and they still most of the time did what they were supposed to. But you have a real Cersei Robert thing going on here. And actually, that's one of those connections for House of the Dragon as you're watching. Cersei and Rhaenyra have a lot in common. And in this instance where Corlys is forcing Lenor to marry Rhaenyra in order to help the family. Well, you're starting to get Tywin vibes, aren't you? Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, becoming the wealthiest man in Westeros doesn't make you a good person. It means that you are now forced into the situation where you have to make these really awful decisions about people's lives. Um, and I think that's, I mean, so uh, I believe it's Adam. Is it Adam who ends up, Adam or Alan, who ends up with the horrible back scars from the, the burns? Um, one of the, one, one. I think it's Adam. I don't think yeah, Adam Valorian. Adam Valorian. Because Alan, Alan the Oakenfish did not uh, ride a dragon. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I think... Yes, it was was Adam, sorry. Adam of Hull got burned by sea smoke. Right. Those scars on Adam's back, I think, are a really good kind of metaphor to tie off Corlys' life. Like, when you ride a dragon, you get burned. Like, he's... You, you you can't just participate in this this Game of Thrones and only win. Like Adam ended up riding a dragon, right? He ended up becoming a lord of, of Driftmark, I believe. Um, but he ended up with horrific third degree burns all over his back in the process. And that that literal thing is kind of what happens to House Valarian as a whole. Adam did not end up lord. He ended up dying at Tumbleton. Alan did. Uh, yeah, yeah, Alan. And yeah, right, right. Um, yeah, that's yeah. more Valarian stuff we didn't even get into. But it didn't have much to do with Corlys at that point. He was in jail. He was off the page. But it. It's this kind of like an escalating failure of his plans. Um, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. kind of like a weird mix between like Ned and Tywin, where he's very clearly ambitious. Yeah. He's pushing to try and dethrone the Targaryens for his own purposes, but he's like not super good at it. But he's just very wealthy and powerful. It's it's I don't know. It's it's an odd mixture of the two characters. Like Rhaenyra is not exclusively just Cersei. She also has a lot in common with Daenerys, which a lot of people are not excited about knowing what happens to Rhaenyra in the end. But it's the Dance of the Dragons itself is sort of like a retelling of the War of the Five Kings. And so you'll see these these character archetypes sort of come back over and over again as we watch the show. So when you watch Corlys, you know, look for those traits. He very much has something in common with them. Uh, question from Rosinante. Hey, uh, an Expanse reference. Wouldn't Cannibal have clashed with Balerion if he was on Dragonstone before the Targs? Balerion was by far the largest of all the dragons. Wouldn't Cannibal been even larger? Um, yeah, Balerion was not full grown by the time they got there. He was... Um, it, that's why they waited. They had to hatch the other two dragons and then Balerion had to grow up. Um, the, there's a there's a line, I think, in the world book that the cannibal was there beforehand. I've actually had this discussion with Aziz of History of Westeros, and he says no. He says that um, cannibal was not there beforehand. He's just a random wild dragon that popped up. But um, the cannibal doesn't eat all the dragons. He eats some. <laughs> And I think, I think, I don't know. I mean, um, the cannibal also is not like living in the conditions that lead to a dragon growing truly huge. He's Mm. 
like basically just keeping himself from starving. Um, and I, I guess my, my read on the cannibal was always that like, yeah, he was eating dragon eggs and stuff because that was his only manner of survival. Um, or at least was it, well, like one, you know, one very reliable way he could keep himself alive on Dragonstone for so long. Um, if he was there before the Targaryens, then obviously he eats other stuff. It's probably fish and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah and, you know, sheep from the surrounding areas. I don't know. I mean, I, th- I think um, Dragonstone's a big island. The mm. show kind of shrinks but I think, you know, Dragonstone itself is is He's pretty big. There's a lot of dragons yeah. there. At one time, Vagar, Balerion, Cannibal, Sheepstealer, and uh, what's the other one? Um, there's another wild dragon. I, I know. Uh, like but Vermithor and Vermax or uh, Jaehaerys and Alysanne's dragons, they're all living there at the same time. And it's so big that Sunfire the Golden, Aegon II's giant golden dragon, hides effectively and no one sees him. Yeah, right. It's a and big I, place. I, I, honestly, I always thought... But- with the discussion of the wild dragons and stuff in the dance, my, my assumption was always that there were other wild dragons who were just like too wild or or too small or whatever. But like that, that we don't know the names of every single dragon that lived on Dragonstone, I guess is what I'm saying. So I, I don't find it crazy that one of the dragons could like hide in a sh- you know, shitty little cave on the backside of the island and like pop out every once a decade to eat everybody's eggs like that to me makes a lot of sense. Actually, the, uh, I forgot the other one. Gray Ghost. That's the other one. That's Ghost. the one who did what you said. It, it essentially nobody could find it they tried to tame it and it just essentially ran away every time and hid deep in the caverns so yeah about that one uh let's do you have to go or do you have time for one more one more okay let's let's find a good question here do you see one in the chat yourself uh, i can't read oh bummer um, can't read yeah. anything that's right michael is illiterate i've never read a song of ice and fire you got which, me these wild cards too right? which makes it funny that you printed out the the script that you can't read i, just, I like to be able to look like i'm uh, i'm reading so- oh yes i'm i'm reading the chat now matt <laughs> yeah, on this page uh, <laughs> uh, uh let me scroll up a little bit just so everyone knows um, um oh here we go nice. uh dornish dame says do you think orain links up with danny or young grift to try and reestablish the close links between the targaryens and the valarions bringing that back to wins a winner what do you think Wait, what a, this is the perfect question to end on. Yeah. Um, I think our rain, uh, I don't know. I, I don't have super strong opinions about him, but I could see him absolutely hooking up with Aegon Griff mm-hmm. and kind of in the way that Aegon is is recreating sort of the, the myth of the Targaryen king mm-hmm. and, and all that kind of stuff, which is going to be annihilated by the actual Targaryen dragons on with Danny. Um, I could see him standing in as the same as like the, the Valerians come again, right? the masters of ship. Um, he already is. Uh, He's already got him. He's got the ships. He's ready. Exactly. Yeah. And and it makes strategic sense for that reason. Yeah. Like, yeah. I also, I also really like the idea that, um, that, that Orain has taken up as pirate king of the step zones. And it's like, I really think that's George telling you to look back at Valarian history and be like, maybe he did this because this is what they have done for thousands of years or hundreds of years that, Corlys, he gets he gets a lot of good write-ups, but you know, he also acquired a lot of wealth really well, never got caught, nobody ever sacked him or anything until the triarchy. It's like either you are the most incredible person in the world or you did some shitty things in the far side of the world that you never told the Maesters about. Yeah, yeah. Um and obviously Alrain, you know, um crowning himself king of the stepstones is is a connection to Damon Absolutely. and Corlys and I mean their side loses the the that Targaryen civil war. And uh you know, there's another Targaryen civil war coming. Um <laughs> in one side of the dragons so yeah orain really uh popping up with that with the corlys uh connections there which i, I don't think you really hear about because a lot of the focus on orain 
is really how Cersei feels about him. That mm-hmm. she's like, yo, he's Rhaegar light. Oh, he's kind of like a Valyrian. He'd be super great to give me that hot D, but or give me that Oaken fist. There it is. I brought it back. <laughs> Let Orin Oaken fist me. Um, but you know, there's a lot more going on with Orin, and he's been really He's really put himself in an advantageous position, much like the Valorians, where one way or another, those fleets that are going through the step zones are going to deal with Orain Waters, the Pirate King. And which one pays up will probably make a big difference. But as you say, it's probably going to be Young Griff. They're the ones that need him. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I could see that happening. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I see a lot of pathways for that to go with with Orain ending up on the wrong side of Danny's invasion. Um, That'd be very Valorian. Exactly. Exactly. The Valorians constantly trying to like, you know, hitch a ride on the dragon that's going to fly the highest. And uh, yeah, they end up burnt or drowned. So I would enjoy it. Or in case both. Oh, hello. I I would like the Valorians to succeed in the end. I mean, they've they've really been kind of kicked around a lot for not doing much other than just being an actual rival to the Targaryens. And that's actually something I want to see coming up is the relationship between the Baratheons and the Valarians, because that's been historical. Uh, they've been allies sometimes, but there's always been kind of a weird tension, like we talked about, that the Baratheons were rewarded when the Valarians were not. So Orain the Bastard, and like I talked about in the video, maybe Edric Storm the Bastard. Would there be a kind of, some kind of link up there? I mean, if, especially if um, Young Griff is going to try and recreate the actual Targaryen, like every part of Aegon's conquest, well, getting the Baratheons and the Valarians were the key parts to that. Absolutely. And then to have uh, have it all unmade by Daenerys. Yeah. Um, and there's something interesting too, if Orain ends up with Young Griff, that's a bastard with a bastard uh, or a bastard with a you know like pretender and then if if maybe that puts the baby valerian lord on yeah, danny's side that's right you have like the and the bastards of these valerian houses uh, Gen- there's a oh, lot of interest oh that'd be interesting if it was gendry and the actual valarion who's been essentially kind of dethroned by orain but not really he's p- clearly planning to yeah yeah that yeah kind of this this like mirror universe bizarro world targaryen court um which again that's what that's what the dance showed us are these two sort of opposing targaryen courts you know it's the it's the cannibal all over again it's the ouroboros the valarians and targaryens eating each other's tails and the Brathians, yeah. who are Valyrians, but they always get forgot because they are big beefy boys. Yeah, I mean, they're they're stags. They aren't snakes. And uh, I think that for as much as this series is called A Song of Ice and Fire, it could also be called The Song of the Sea Snake. The Song of the Sea Snake. <laughs> we, are, we need a trumpet sound or something. I need to get like a little soundboard where I can just like hit stuff on it and something like that but yeah i think that's a good place to leave it i mean not only is Coralise going to be a totally fascinating character along with all of house of Lauren and hot d but there's parallels to the current story there's a lot to be excited about well maybe not a lot but there's something to be excited about with Orain waters who kind of seems like a one-off character that probably won't be he'll probably be an important part of the t- the next dance of the dragons just like Coralise was so ooh, that is that is a lot of Coralise talk that is yeah, I'm. It doesn't even sound like a real word to me anymore. I guess it's not. Uh, it's not. It's actually not. It's not a real word. Um, is there anything that you would like to plug, Miguel, before we get out of here? Well, of course, I would love to plug um, Maester Monthly, <laughs> our favorite pseudo monthly podcast hosted by the Hot Rays, Song Race Fire subreddit. Um, we put out two episodes this year, so we're feeling pretty good about that. We did a good um, job. Yeah, I, don't know. I mean, hey, well, we'll keep putting them out whenever it's fun. Um, so I, I think I, I like the status of Maester Monthly as like this. Uh, you know, it goes 
oft unlooked for, but comes in our hour of greatest need. Um, I will also uh, take this opportunity to plug uh, my fantasy story that I'm writing, which is the Chaotic Neutral Chronicles, chaoticneutralchronicles.com. It's Mm -hmm. a story podcast for you know in, in podcast form as well if you like to listen um and it's loosely based off a D campaign that i run but mostly is a story about the characters in it. um and yeah the, the ebook of season one is available on my website as is the ebook of season two next week um season three will be starting in january so uh yeah chaotic neutral chronicles.com check it out please do and we're almost there so i'm just gonna do this uh, at the end of it anyway just because i like wearing it we're at 148 please let's slam the like button get those last two i believe in you guys um, you and I could let you know, then uh, we would be there, right? Yeah, that's true. Um, and then for what's coming up with me, I talked about at the top. Um, there we go. I got the 150 just like that. We did it. We hit 150. I will put it back on. Um, <laughs> uh, so the Tattered Prince five-year gap video is coming up after that. I uh, I'm, think I'm going to do a newsy one on the Expanse. Also a hot D update of where they are right now because they just announced they released two of the dragons, what they're going to look like. They also cast Viserys the first, who we talked about quite a bit. Um, there may be some more news coming out soon. Fingers crossed because HBO is on a roll right now with uh, taking over the movie theaters. So I imagine they're going to just keep hitting that hammer. Um, after that, Rob of the dead. That's my working title about Rob Stark coming back from the dead. That'll be, that was supposed to be around Halloween, but I kind of got sidetracked. Uh, some stuff on Bravos, The Faceless Men, uh, some Fire Whites. Uh, you have a Sandry, what's you put on a horse mask? Oh, fuck. Uh, I, I've got it somewhere. You keep going. All right. Uh, obviously, support me on Patreon at patreon.com slash showmagician. Get access to uh, content early, patron-only episodes. Uh, ask questions that I will guarantee read on the, um, well, at least probably get them in some form on streams like Eric Forig, who did. Um, get access to the patron Slack where Sanri has been showing off all her amazing artwork for her t-shirts and stuff that are on sale now. Um, she'll probably drop the link after I said that. Cannot find the horse mask. Cannot find the horse mask. I, I was uh, cleaning this room up. Must have, must have disappeared somehow. Interesting. I do, have a, I do have a Darth Vader Oh, mask, perfect. So there we I go. Can... Thank you. There we go. Actual size. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so look for all that stuff coming up. Um, and I will see you. I don't think I have to work next weekend, so I'll probably see you next weekend. And everybody have a good uh, Saturday. I'm, gonna, I'm in the middle of a blizzard, so here's hoping I don't lose power. It was lucky as fuck that I did not lose power during this. It is a crazy blizzard outside. It is dark as night. You can't see anything. Snow is not piling up like crazy. So, you know, if you're in the Northeast right now, take care of yourself. I'm going to go cry in a corner and try not to die in a snow pile. Because you know what? Winter's coming. I did it. I said the thing. I said the thing. All right, guys. I will see you later. Thank you.